Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for all is. Oh, I'm sorry. For Hunger Games Catching Fire. All right. How dare you? See, <laughs> we, we did not dare see this you. week. Now, uh, real quick, just so we'll talk about that to let folks know that's not what this is. This is the podcast for All is Lost. It is not, I repeat, not the podcast for the number four or number five biggest movie opening of all time. It is not that. Oh, and 90% critically acclaimed, so we should see it. The Hunger Games movie? Yeah, yeah. it's one of those proof things. Nobody's going to... Oh, 90%? No, that doesn't count. That means we have to see it. The ni- You're the one always reading the numbers, and now they don't matter. I can play this one you have to see it. by the way. What? If you're, play this one girl, Kelly, if you're a tween girl, <laughs> Kelly Wand, you have to see Hunger Games. I like Jennifer you Lawrence shooting that. arrows at shit. And 90%. Right, oh, it's so masculine. I, I like Jennifer Lawrence shooting arrows at shit. No, I want to see why it's 90%, because that's really rare. Okay, although well, it is every movie. But you're not dragging me and Dingus into watching Hunger Games 2. Dingus, back me up. Uh, really? Oh. I see. All right, so who's trolling you earlier? That's fine. <laughs> we'll have more talk of this later when we decide what we're seeing next week. Oh. Now, let's do a podcast for All is Lost. Oh, yeah. Uh, J.C. Chandor's latest movie. Um, he's the fellow who did Margin Call, which, uh, if you listen to this podcast, uh, you've probably heard us mention once or twice. Uh, let's not spoil it for anyone, though. Um, which one? Uh, I, I guess we can spoil Margin Call. Margin Call's not really spoilable. In, in it's a, a margin movie. call whether we can spoil it. I don't think you know what that word means, Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you mean spoil or <laughs> any of those words? That's true. Uh, let's talk All is Lost by having Dingus without spoiling anything. Wait, uh, tagline. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't even introduce anyone. As I said, my name is Tom Chick. Did I introduce myself even? I fucked it up. Not even would... you. We yeah, people even... listening to this are like, who are these people? Who are they? Who's talking? I don't know. They're still going to keep listening because they're like, this could get good any second. <laughs> I am find out their names. Uh, I am Tom Chick, and I am joined by uh, Christian Mronsky. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. You can just call me our podcaster. <laughs> and there, there's not a lot you can play with from this week's movie, is there, Dingus? Fuck. Uh, and with our ta- oh, was that the tagline, Kelly Wand? No, that was Ding. I was. I was going to give that one to Dingus. I see. Well, Kelly Wand, give us an all is lost tagline. Uh, it's like the side adventure, but 360. <laughs> okay. Are there runners up that, that you had? Or, <laughs> I'm okay with Cooper that. involved in this? What the hell? Uh, no, I mean, yeah, that's a good one. About, yeah, go ahead. I guess that's lunch. <laughs> let's explore those further in a moment. But first, let's have, uh, let's not. Let's have Dingus uh, tell us what we saw this week without any spoilers. So, Dingus, don't ruin it for anyone. We already know there's some Poseidon Adventure-esque kind of thing. Ruination job's taken. Maybe Kurt Russell plays a fireman in it. Or maybe Spoiler. Richard Dreyfus has a gay lover he calls on New Year's Eve. Or maybe uh, for Lawrence, Eddie Rodriguez gets kicked down an elevator shaft. I don't know what Kelly is <laughs> talking about. That was such a good part. <laughs> But he saved him, too, and that's how he gets repaid, with the yeah. heat in the eye. Well, this is, it is the it's a Poseidon Adventure, is a, or Poseidon, as I believe it's called, is a yeah. brutal story of survival, Kelly Wand. It is? 
Wolf yeah. Anderson. Yeah. Uh, he's the guy who did Dust Boot. He's not going to turn around and do some frilly little fruit. Is it a sequel? Is that so? Yeah. Is upside down because German shot it with a torpedo. Poseidon is widely considered the spiritual sequel to Dust Boot. What about Enemy Mine? That is, uh, yeah, that's. I've lost interest. Continue. <laughs> that's what you want to see if you want if you want men to have equal time giving birth. You know, oh, women. That's, that's all I want. Well, Enemy Mine is the movie for you. The what about Peterson Yes, please. Barbed Wire. Barbed Wire was not directed by uh, Wolfgang Peterson. You have now failed the uh, riff that Kelly Wand and I had going. Uh, what if it had been I, That's what I was trying of, to do, actually. <laughs> well, then, you've uh, derailed Kelly Wand and I. Why don't you tell folks what we saw this week without spoiling it? We didn't uh-huh. derail you. I just took you out of the shipping lane for a minute. Ah. Uh, ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, well, this week we saw All is Lost, mm. a 2013 American adventure drama movie mm. about a man in a boat. It was written and directed by J.C. Chandor. <laughs> Can and I real it, quick uh, interrupt here? Um, there's a, as folks listening may or may not know, I do some, I, I write about video games sometimes. I used to freelance a lot, and I once got to do a review of a Zelda game <laughs> called uh, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. Where uh, Zelda, the not Zelda uh, Link, the little dude, he uh, it's like an ocean-going Zelda, and he has he's got a sailboat and he sails around to different islands and whatnot. And I got to write a review for it for uh, Yahoo Games, you know, a big a big website, because I knew the fella who's the editor, and he would hire me to write reviews every now and then. Um, I put <laughs> as, I put as the headline of the review uh, something about um, Nintendo makes a game about the little man in the boat. <laughs> Was that a Hemingway there. reference? It was up there for uh, Kelly Wan. That's a clitoris reference. <laughs> oh right, and it, I, those aren't myths. Those aren't real. Uh, it was it, like it was up there yeah. for a full couple of days before someone told my editor. Uh, I don't know if you realize what your writer has done here, but you might want to change that. <laughs> we in the game I'm working on, we had something uh, adventures come smugglers that everyone was like, "Oh, uh, excuse me." <laughs> Gross. You am true, but that's what I said. I got right on that. All right, I'm sorry, I couldn't help Dingus. Uh, back up. I'm sorry. This is a terrible time to interject. That. Yeah, we, this, we have we have a grown-ups listening. I know. I stupid shit. They're getting to hear. Right. So th- this, not- is ex- this is exactly what I wanted to happen when I said it was about a man in a boat. <laughs> that's what you wanted to have happen. Ten minutes of pure. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're a genius. You got what you wanted. <laughs> Damn you. It was written and directed by J.C. Chandor and stars Robert Redford and three 1978 Cal 39 sailboats. <laughs> All is Lost is rated PG-13 for brief, strong language. Oh, my God. <laughs> MPAA. You got your Nebraska. What, what was awesome is that at the end of the, the viewing I saw, it, it first flashed up that I just watched an R-rated movie. It's an R-rated for language, and I stood up at the end and went, "What?" And then, it, and then, right after that, PG-13 flashed up on the JK. Screen, brief strong. It was it was very much a JK moment because I was like, "Wait a minute, you can't just give me an R for that." It's based on the character's age in the movie, <laughs> or or the intensity. I don't know intensity, but uh, no, they, they made that decision after the movie you'd watched there. No, I think they were. Okay, now, 
let's we changed our minds. We're in the projection. <laughs> right. Uh, on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, uh, all is lost. It's actually kind of cleaning up here. On Metacritic, it's at 87. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, <clears throat> all is lost is at 95%. But this is one of those movies where I think, uh, and I, I don't mean this to sound as, uh, well, you know what? I'll just go with it. I think the smarter you are, the more you like this movie. Because if you click on top critics... I don't mean this to sound... <laughs> That's true of every movie, isn't it? If you click on top critics uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 98%. If you wow. then just fold in all the people from the Kansas City papers and the little tiny <laughs> dailies... You're from- doing what Alexander Payne did. That you made it. <laughs> Stupid Midwesterners. If you do that, it then goes to 95%. Now, if oh. you then go to the audience rating, it's at 71%, which I love about All is Lost. Uh, huh. But those are 71% of the people that went in to see it. Went, like, oh, oh, Robert that's Redford that's in a boat. Right. Oh, okay. That's not what Rotten Tomatoes means. It's not, did you I see forgot. this movie? Click <laughs> yes, no. What the word audience means. So it's people who didn't see the movie giving No, it's Rotten Tomatoes has a user rating where people who've seen movies can then Rated, Idiots. I, I, okay. Yeah, it's, it's but it's people who write on the internet, which is actually a different statistic even than people, I think. Because well, it's people who go, I'm going to write a thing on Rotten Tomatoes, but Rod Redford movie. <laughs> well, my point is that... Uh, I, <laughs> I know. I suppose as you talk about it for two hours. <laughs> the audience rating for All is Lost is basically the same as the audience rating for uh, Last Vegas, for instance. <laughs> that thing, that is that whole- one about slavery? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. That's 12 Years a Slave. I realize the title's hard to remember. That is, and that is a spoiler. A chronology spoiler. Oh, I want to do a quick title check with you just to see how well you're retaining things. What is the name of the movie with Elizabeth Olsen recovering from having been in a cult? Uh, Catching Fire. Wait. Can you really not do it? Mary Magdalene Maria Marlena. Can't do that. It's just that's so. Let's go to Dingus. Dingus, what's the name of that movie? Mariana. First of all, I'm going to give what Kelly did a 71. percent Ah, wait. Is he this? Is he the I'm, critic or the audience? I'm the audience of your same. Of She's you like a Nielsen. Okay. What was the question that Dingus was answering? I was ask, he was asking me to say Martha Marcy Mamerly. See how easy that was, Kelly Wand. You Martha's saw the movie. The you, you loved it, and you can't remember the name of it. Uh, I love. I don't need. There's women I've loved. I don't remember their name. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> you said Brandy. Uh, she's a fine girl. If we look at the uh, box office performance of All Is Lost, well, <laughs> there's really no point. Uh, it's a very limited release. It, it's not. Uh, they definitely didn't make this to make money. Um, so uh, why though? I mean, can't they go? Hey, it's. I mean, because Gravity made a shitload of money. Kelly Wand, because well, the audience rating for this is seventy-one percent. That's that's the kind of thing. Got, people went to Gravity and they were like, "Oh, this is good." Well, we'll this get is, into this. This is after. the independent version of Gravity. Stop. Yeah, uh, we'll uh, get into this in a little bit. But I think All Is Lost is in ways a very ballsy movie, and I, I yeah, admire oh, a lot of what God. it does. But I can see, I can totally see people. This, this isn't your average movie, Kelly Wand. Uh, it's, it's not going to make. They'd rather see the same shit they always see every fucking Thor movie. Is the like oh well, obviously we'll go to the Thor the Dark. Right, so if you were in charge of say the 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 cinemas around the, like the yeah. distribution of movies, would you put All Is Lost in three thousand on three thousand screens? Yeah, you would go broke if it was nineteen seventy two. I see, very good point. Kelly it, it would you be three thousand screens in the same theater. You would go back in time yeah. 
and then give it a wide distribution. Well, I, it's better than killing my grandfather. That seems like a bad use of... <laughs> Who's in that? Robert Redford. <laughs> well, Kelly, Wan, speaking of Robert Redford, why don't you tell us uh, sort of blow by blow what happens... Ah, uh, spoilers! It's sex jokes and one. <laughs> give us an all is lapsus. Ah, uh, see? You stole that from the grown-up. But it's movie. <laughs> Grown-ups too. Wait, movie. Finish that thought, or was that the, the whole? movie? The grown-up. There's a movie. movie the grown-up. Actually, it is multiple grown-ups. I did. I did flub that, didn't I? <laughs> I'll now I'll take over the flubbing. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wand, flub away. Wait, I'll sail it like you stole it. Ah, I was gonna do sail it like I um ruddered it, or whatever it's called. That word <laughs> ruddered it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it should have been a nautical term, but rudder was the first one I could think of. All is lapsus. Dear Ocean, me again, Bob, which is what I intend to be doing a lot of in the near future, thanks to you. I intend to write this and put it in a bottle and throw it into you, which I guess is how all mail used to be delivered. You better come through for me this time or I'm going to spit in you. But first things first, you suck. I thought sailing on you would be fun. Weed's legal, I gain the power to marry people, and best of all, you never have to worry about running out of water. But you know what? You're not fun. You may think you're all that just because you cover 25% of the Earth's surface, but as far as I'm concerned, we had a drink glass and ship you back to the ice caps. This is all from the movie, by the way. <laughs> in your defense, I guess the old Korean dude in that skiff yesterday wasn't offering me his daughter on the pier when he yelled, Beware of shoe containers smashing bowsprit, white man. So I probably owe him and his daughter an apology. But on the upside, this means that I understand Korean perfectly, or whatever the fuck he was. I wonder how he knew I was white. I guess those people really are intuitive. Although, when I asked him the quickest way to Flagstaff, he did sell me this boat. That old stereotype about all Asians being scrutable is just a myth, I guess. Like sailing being fun. <laughs> you got to racism so fast. <laughs> it's the character. I made him slightly less racist than he was in the movie. Okay based on how he treats the other humans in the movie. Entry 2, day. Longitude west or something. Got hopes briefly raised this morning when a Korean ship pulled up alongside whatever my boat's called, and their crew yelled, smiling, excited gibberish, and waved at me. But then they just fished out their shoe container with a hook and towed it away and left me here. Damn. The language barrier's like the new edge of the world. Holy shit. Hang on, let me write that down. Anyways, according to this map that I found in the boat and I was already drawing X's on, I'm in the Indian Ocean. I didn't even know they had an ocean. Why do they need the casinos? <laughs> See, Dingus, it's part of his character. He's just a little obsessed. I'm, I'm picking up on that. Thank you. Entry 2A, weeks later, probs. This is the happiest day of my life because I finally took care of that loose screw at the top of the jib mast. <laughs> <laughs> See, reading Ted Master and Commander books in a row. Pays really? Up. Yeah, it really does. That's me, not Redford. It hardly took me nine hours to shimmy up to it using my gravitars and pitons, but then when I opened my mouth to say awesome, a bunch of water flooded in, and I realized that the boat was upside down. It turned back over again eventually, but that's something decks in pieces now. This is the worst day of my life. Entry 2A1B some other day, I think. The storm, as mariners call typhoons out here, waterlogged my cell phone, my ham radio, and the engine. I tried everything from beating them with a hammer and pouring boiling water and blood on them in various combos, but that just made them smoke and sparks fly into my eyes. I guess they're defective. Anyway, they're all I have to eat except for the 80 boxes of peanut butter crunch in the cupboard, and those I'm saving for an emergency. You guys still there? 
Nope. My next journal entry by Robert. More good news. I fixed the hole in the boat that I'd made yesterday by swinging the hammer too far back after the engine refused my sexual overtures. Then I dropped the hammer on my foot, and while grabbing it to scream ooch and hop around, my head bashed into some pans and fell onto the oven burner, which I'd left on to see if the map would burn. Smelled good, but needed spatula to scrape burning face off. While grabbing it and make comical noises, I slammed my nuts in the drawer, then smashed burning face to the hole I'd just finished fixing and got tangled up in all the scotch tape. Eventually got things sorted out, and no sooner had I smacked my hands together and said, that's quite enough for one day, when I stepped on a rake and blacked out. So good news with the non-silver lining, technically, I guess. (sighs) (laughs) Captain's Log, new entry zero. Finally beat Alec Baldwin at Scribblenaut. Suck it, Shadow Man. Then I realized I could use the iPhone to call for help, but I saw a shark was alongside the boat, so I threw the iPhone in its mouth. Hope of it granting me safe passage. Might have been a dolphin, actually. Oh, yeah, boat sank. Life raft Capitan's log. (laughs) Capitan's log, new entry zero again. Good news, my test message in a bottle floated back to me today, which means the system works. Except for direction, but yeah. Also took what I learned watching Waterworld and made a machine out of bamboo in my backup iPhone to recycle my urine and other fluids, but not sure if it's actually recycling. Also saw passing ship. So I shot all my flares, but since the instructions said point away from face, five of them went into the raft and set fire to it, and the sixth hit me in the face. I got out and started swimming down to the ocean floor to look for help. Unfortunately... I guess they swam the wrong way because a hand grasped mine, and now I'm on a skiff crewed by Somali pirates who say I'm under arrest for arson and shoe theft. <laughs> it's too late to say I'm sorry, I guess, and too early to say all is lost. But hey, I wonder what this can of gasoline, duh. And then that's. <laughs> <clears throat> End uh, of that. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Mm, tried my best. Biggest, you call this an indie gravity. Explain. Mm. Uh, the, the <laughs> all right. Uh, there are things that I really I love gravity. Let me make that clear. Um, there are things about gravity that I wished it had been. Uh, there are many people who said it was a uh, in space open water. Uh, there were times I wished it had understood silence better and understood isolation better and hadn't told us, hadn't had Sandra Bullock constantly telling us what she was doing. Um, and what uh, Quran was doing in that movie was doing a big budget movie. He was doing that on purpose because he couldn't get his short movie made, his short independent movie made. He couldn't, he couldn't finance it. So he said, I'm just going to do a big movie. Um, this movie is so bold that it doesn't ever tell us what it's doing it just lets us figure it out um and i can't tell you how happy i am about that now i love gravity i love what it does uh but this feels like somebody saying uh i don't care to tell you what's going on you're going to figure it out or you're not and i love that about this movie what is the character's name in this movie again Tinkus? he's our man And you only know that from the credits. Yeah, well, you do, and also there's this this weird. And usually, I hate like last songs that seem to like say what the movie is about. But there's this movie, there's this song over the credits that seems like it's constantly saying "Our Man." It's called "Amen," though. Um, but uh, it, I, uh. yeah, there's this last song that that. Anyway, I, <laughs> it's, he's, he's 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 just our man. 
and and uh, and there's a couple of jokes about that in the credits that roll up, but but it's our man. Terry, when did you stay for the credits? By the way, no. Was there an Easter egg at the end? Yes. Oh my God, are you serious? Uh, I can't. Dingus, tell him. It. Tell him what he missed. <sighs> well, Submariner, he, the boat lands on his head. <laughs> he doesn't care about the Black Widow movie. See, Kelly Wand? Yeah, I see. <laughs> this little Scarlett Johansson teaser. <laughs> I had to say what I said. <laughs> um, so I'll teaser that one. I, I can't help but think, Dingus, that that was intentional, that the, the song, which I believe was written and performed by the composer of the, the music, yeah. um, was His called... Alex Ebert, by the way. Yes, right. And it, uh, I believe being called Amen was definitely a reference to Our Man, uh, because I really did think I was listening to a song called Our Man after I'd yeah. seen uh, that in the yeah. credits. Um, all right, Kelly, were you? Um, how would you describe your reaction to this? Were you were you baffled? Did you understand what was going on? Uh, did you need more detail about the character? Uh, how did this work out? Wow. Yeah, it was great. Well, I have, I'm I have a nautical fetish, and I've been binging on those Master Commander novels, so I was trying to like figure out what he was doing from my recent knowledge, but I still usually didn't know. But I think what, I knew. What was that uh, cable jack that he had to plug in at the top of the mast? That was for the webcam. <laughs> Did the, does that figure into the Master Commander novel? Yeah, it figures into six to 12 of them. I haven't finished them yet. I've only read half of each one. But um, but I'm petrified of the ocean, too, so, like, everything Dingus said is true. It's like, there's silence. We don't need to know anything more about his character. And it was it was most scenes are just him thinking and taking his time on some things and trying to decide whether he has time to do something or not. And so I like that's more important than even than what he's really doing. Because a lot of his projects uh, fail. Um, I would disagree with no. that because one of yeah. the things no, that no, no, I... No, no. Yeah. One of the things that I really admired about this movie, and I think we've talked about it before, maybe in the context of 127 Hours, um, is seeing a survival movie where the people aren't trying to survive because they're idiots and they've done something stupid. Where instead you have very competent people doing the right, right. things. Um, I think the only wrong thing he might have done was not closing the little valve on his water, uh, on that big yeah. water can. Yeah. Um, but but otherwise, he was incredibly competent. He was calm. And I love what you mentioned, Kelly Wan, that a lot of it you see him sitting there thinking, like, yeah. you know, what am I going to do now? Um, and, uh, you, you know, just the, the, it's so compelling to watch somebody competent dealing with a difficult situation. Uh, and, and what's amazing to me is that this is the writer and director who did Margin Call, which is a very talky movie. And editor. Um, well, I imagine that J.C. Chandor – well, I don't know. I mean, since he's uh, a newer filmmaker, I, I would hope that he's probably working with some of the same people. Uh, but, yeah, the same fellow who edited um, – Margin Call uh, edited All is Lost, and he sent us a very nice email. Um, but what amazes me is that um, Margin Call is so talky and so character-heavy and so much about people talking about a situation. It doesn't necessarily get into the procedural aspects. You know, It tells us a lot about what's going on, but it's not necessarily laying out for us, okay, here's the ins and outs of the financial crisis. It's just having people who already know about it and who – you would presume are competent, sort of unravel it. And, and, and how they would talk it. about it. Yeah. And how they would talk about it. Whereas this movie is is a guy who has no one to talk to. Right. And it's just one guy thinking. Um, and it's an amazing... Can I, just, can I just jump in real quick here mm-hmm. uh, and say that when... And, and I agree with what you guys are saying, but for, for anybody who hasn't seen this movie yet, if you're listening to this, because it's going to be hard to see for a lot of people, when we say um, it's a, that he's thinking... 
this isn't a guy ruminating. This is a guy who is calculating, in, who is thinking in in the midst of action. I mean, he's he's thinking and acting. Uh, so it's it's not I don't it's not a boring movie. It's not a slow movie. It's not like Nebraska where some guy's going what. It's when when Tom and and Kelly say thinking, they mean a guy thinking and 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 moving. And, and I mean. His, and, and one of the things that's amazing about this is, is his calmness. I love this yeah. character, um, but the, but his thinking is, is activity. So, so don't think of it as a slow movie about thinking. I just, I, I just wanted to jump in and say that. Let's, well, it's, it, it's, it's in, it's in contrast to like Life of Pi, isn't it? Where the character, it doesn't know what to do and it's all new to him and he's bowled over and overwhelmed and not sure how to react. Uh, you know, this guy knows what he's supposed to do, and he's weighing, you know, what what to do. Right, like, like right. just watching him. And it's uh, reality. No, but uh, watch it, watching him actually go. Uh, should I go back and get the sea anchor? Should I go back and do this? It, uh, it's just the, these great little. He's, he's calculating. I mean, and I also yeah. like too. We had uh, when we when we saw a movie. Was it called the cave? What was that thing where uh, the dude? Uh, Sanctum. Sanctum, right? Uh, so there's a bit where I think it's not Carol Rodan. Who's the actor? Richard uh, Roxburgh, I think. There's a yeah. there's a point where he's uh, coiling up rope, and I was like, that's really cool to see an actor who really looks like he's a a mountain climber doing that with rope, and that spawned this three by three about non faked physical gestures. And there's so many awesome non faked physical gestures that Robert Redford does yeah. here, whether it's tying those little knots or whether it's painting up that that whole. <laughs> shut um or just messing around with like buckles and 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 cables and stuff um and one of my favorite non-fake physical gestures and and this is an example of how this movie is so meticulous even though it's basically just one guy puttering around on a boat one of my favorite non-fake physical gestures which is a character development is when he comes in and out of the the below decks part and kelly one i'm sure you would know the technical term for that from the master command books but i'm just going to call it the below decks part to the upper decks part, he's got these two little door brackets that he has to take off and put over to the side, and he constantly takes them off and he puts them over to the side very carefully because he knows he's going to have to then put them back. When he decides to abandon the ship, when he knows he's going to have to leave the ship, that it's sinking, he takes the bracket off and just like tosses it aside. I love I, that moment. That's it's so such great. a great touch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's it's it's. It's this nautical – it's not a procedural necessarily, but it's just this look at how the guy would behave. You've seen him carefully put that little door to the side, and then at this point he knows there's there's no point in putting it there because he's never going to put it back. He just chucks it aside. I love that little moment, uh, and I love how I presume J.C. Chandor just worked so – maybe Robert Redford actually is really a sailor. Do we know that, by the way? I don't know, but I felt like he was. Yeah. Yeah. And he certainly looks the part. I mean, just what I, he was in this awful movie where, oh, what was the name of that? Where he plays a member of the, the, a former member of the Weather Underground who's been outed by Shia LaBeouf. What the hell is that movie? Ew. What? Yeah, they made a movie together? Sneakers. Wait, that's pretty. No, oh, dad oh, it. Anyway, I forget what it's called, but it's terrible. Uh, and he just looks in that movie, he just looks so old and so tired and really uninvested in what he's doing. But here, he looks amazing and weather beaten and just, he, he looks like the kind a guy who would be sailing around in a boat on his own, who would actually be in this situation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and even his hands and stuff, and just his his face uh, and his eyes. I loved the way he looked in this. Yeah. Um, just as a physical uh, performance, great stuff. 
I was going to say, like, when I said projects fail, I was kind of just that I meant sort of the thing like the brackets, like everything he goes through to great pains to like try and preserve them. But it's more like an exercise in tenacity because he's like willing to put it aside when he knows it's not going to matter. It and it's it such it plays out as such this great survival drama, doesn't it? Yeah. And and, yeah. and 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 we go on these great like I, I it's a really um you know when you describe margin call to someone even though it's about investment banking margin call is is a flat out thriller yeah. and and that's definitely the case here as well i mean even though it's one guy he has no one to talk to he's alone on a boat he's never going to explain stuff to us we don't even know his name this is a pretty flat out thriller and i was really anxious watching this thing yeah and there's this real sense of of dread as you go along and uh, and, and there's there's ups and downs like you're watching it and you think he is so, and pardon my French, he is so fucked. And you're watching, yeah. you think he's fucked, but then he does something, you're like, oh, oh, no, he's okay. Yeah, he's shaving now, he's, he's even mopping the floor. Oh, but you know his letter's coming. Everything's fine. And then and then something else happens, it's like, oh my god, he is so fucked. And then he figures out, oh, he gets a drink of water, and it's like, oh, wow, that's that's a huge relief. Um, it's just so personal, because it's just the one yeah. character going through this survival drama. Um, and coming to those realizations. Yeah. Like after, fig- yeah. Sorry, we're gonna say things. I was just gonna say that 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 everything he does, everything he lets go, uh, is meaningful. That that moment where he he creates the uh, fresh water machine, um, and he cuts open the the canister and he throws that bit of plastic. Just he just sends it like a frisbee out into the ocean. I gasped because I was like, he's been, he was so careful with those little brackets that Tom is talking about. He knows he doesn't need this specific thing or he's in such despair that he's throwing things away. Now, everything that happens is so character driven and so meticulous. I mean, meticulous is such a great word to describe what he's doing in this movie. I, I would just, uh, yeah, I was just, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Uh, I, w- I wanted to hear that letter again because I can't help but think that it opens with the it, so thing is to this bother you because it opens with the letter and this amazing shot of the cargo container. By the way, yeah. I love how j- ignoble that thing is. Uh, yeah. Just the fact that it's a freaking cargo container yeah. that just happened to be where he was going to sail and it's so it's, irritating and it's full of shoes. Um, so it opens with that, and we hear the voiceover of the letter that he's going to write later, and then it goes, what is it 12 hours earlier or whatever? Dingus, you normally hate it when that happens. Let's hear you talk your way out of why you didn't hate it here. <laughs> well, first of all, I would describe that opening uh, thing as, a, as, like a, as, a, as a prelude, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that container is very monolithic uh, in that opening scene. See, Kelly Wan, see what he did? Yeah. A 2001 reference. Same shape. And then it, when it does go to eight days later, I knew I was going to get this question, um, or eight days earlier. Um, but I really do like it. I I like that it gives us because there are a couple things, and I guess we'll talk about what we think about the end at some point. Um, but there are a couple things that one thing I do, I don't like uh, a character telling me something that he couldn't have told me. Uh, I like that there's a justification for that. But I I like that. Um, one of the things I, I love about this movie, uh, and I'm just crazy about it, is that it doesn't flat out tell me things and makes me figure them out. Doesn't or, pander, or it it leaves questions that are open. And I love the things that I love about that letter, the 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 apology that he's making. Um, 
I, I feel like J.C. Chander is kind of putting it on me to figure out who he is and kind of make him about myself. Which is why um, I wanted to hear it again, by the way. Is yeah. I, I knew as I was hearing it, it was important, but then when because he actually writes it. Yeah. He's giving an apology. He's saying, I'm sorry, I tried. Uh, he says the name of the movie right then at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie. But he says, I'm sorry. And, and yeah. I just – and all of a sudden as I heard that, immediately I saw this family in my head and this guy. I just, I just immediately got this picture of this guy. And then as we went through the movie, I was constantly, constantly laying in who are these people that he's writing to? Who is this person that he's writing to? What does this mean? And I'm so glad of that I don't know more than yeah. what the, the, mo- the movie is just telling me. <clears throat> you're you're going to make this character what you're going to make it. And it's kind of like we're writing a page that you are going to finish. And I really like that. Well, also, in, in Skyline and all those other movies, when they would go back in time, it was to tell you stupid things like that. It was just like, oh, and then they came to the airport, and then they arrived there. But in this, you actually are curious about how he got to the shipping container part. Well, I'm also giving – the middle of it. Yeah, I'm giving Dingus a bit of grief because I think Dingus's point is just he hates – you know, that – I don't think Dingus blanketly condemns this idea of of showing you something and then putting up a title card that says eight days earlier. It's just when hunting, not this time. It was just when a crappy movie does it. It's just one of the many things that (laughs) can be done wrong. But I didn't. I didn't feel it was done wrong at at all here. Uh, Want to get to that as the as the precursor. And I just love the idea of you know knowing that that shipping container is still there. (laughs) It's kind of that. Get the next ship. Remains right. (laughs) <laughs> By the way, when I when I watched the movie, uh, definitely an older audience when I saw it. Uh, there was an older couple behind me uh, who I eventually was like, "Excuse me, would you please stop talking? It's distracting." Because oh. they kept talking to each other. But the first time where I knew I knew I was going to be in trouble um, is when you when you get a wider view of the shipping container with all the shoes floating around. The guy behind me said to his wife, "Shoes." Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a hanging offense. Uh, there was a, I, was, I got nervous because two rows back from me was a woman who was narrating uh, one of the the opening. There was like five commercials beforehand and and a couple of previews for movies. It, it was all like documentaries and whatnot. Um, and, but she was narrating them, and I was like, "Is there a, a woman with a blind person back there who's going to be narrating the entire movie?" Wait, how is she narrating the commercial? And then there's a diamond ring. Yeah, well, it was that. Well, what they're saying there is, and then as the credits rolled from this, she was reading the credits to this person. But luckily uh, for the for the movie, she wasn't saying anything. I was really nervous. That I was going to have to go. Can you not narrate the movie? I'm sorry if your friend is blind, but but the maybe the other person is just in hell and they're mute and they have to listen to that. <laughs> Uh, it is a movie too, where it, just because there is no dialogue, and it's What's, one of the really ballsy things because there's oh, no God. dialogue, yeah. and because it is, you know, Dingus, I agree with you, it's not boring, but I would also say it is at times, I, I don't mean, it, at times it deals with the tedium of survival, uh, yeah. you, you know, that that's definitely part of it. This isn't, you know, it's not him constantly fighting a storm with a crazy CG storm in the background. There's there's a fair amount of tedium here that's appropriate, um, but but also one of the things I really liked was the sound design here. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the way that it, when it first starts, it doesn't seem like there's certainly tranquil, calm waters. But when it first starts, all the flapping and the slapping of the ropes and the the furling of the sail and the sloshing and the ominous creaks, the creaks when he gets on the boat when he's shaving, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the sound design in this is really awesome. 
and a lot of it too is surround sound uh, mm-hmm. in a way that I wouldn't have necessarily expected. Um, so I was really pleased to get to see this in the theater with a, a great sound system. Uh, and in that regard too, not nearly as flashy, but in that regard too, Dingus, it did kind of remind me of Gravity as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, a loud it, movie. It definitely made me think 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 about Gravity because we saw it in the Atmos Theater, uh, Gravity, I should say. Um, and this with with those types of sounds that were going on, I had kind of to look behind me because there are moments where I was and the reason I think this is because I went to a a, a little independent theater in Pasadena so which I didn't think would have that good of a sound system but it, but the sound is amazing and I think Gary Reidstrom might have done consulting on the sound on this um, Gary Reidstrom who did uh, I don't know he did some movie or it might have been involved with George Lucas. Um, oh, they definitely use Skywalker Ranch. I mean, I know or the Skywalker, the Skywalker Sound, whatever the yeah, it, it was in the credits. Skywalker Mixing Studio. But I, I saw Gary Redstrom's name, and 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 it didn't surprise me that somebody that they really spent their time doing sound, uh, um, because the sound makes such a huge difference in this movie, and and which is surprising because we don't have any talking, uh, and that they were that smart to pay attention to what is going on with the sound is phenomenal to me. And not just with storms or whatever, but as Kelly was saying, with the ominous creaks or with the sounds of the ropes or whatever uh, uh, Robert Redford is doing, you know, with bandages and throwing things onto the life raft. You, the sound is amazing in this movie. And, th- th- and you know, I, I want to make it clear that I love Gravity. I don't mean to say that this is the better movie than no, Gravity. You, gravity. you, you can that. have both. Why has it got to be either? Well, I, I hate the concept of Gravity, but I don't. I don't hate the movie Gravity. Wait, um, you hate the concept of the theory of Gravity? Yeah, I don't like. He's, I, a, he's I, an anti-Newtonian. I hate anti-Gravity. Newton is such a jerk. Uh, it's just that I love that. You're pro apples. That this movie sort of answers some of my questions. There, there are movies where I'm like, oh well, I don't need that movie because I have this movie, and so <laughs> and so th- this movie kind of says uh, this. These are the things that you wanted from Gravity that you were missing. Well, we'll give them to you here. I, I really like that this movie does that. I'm so crazy about. I mean, and what a move! I mean, this is. I think Tom, you said this earlier. What a ballsy move this is. I mean, this is really bold. I mean, it's a bold movie. I mean, it's bold for J.C. Chander to do this after Margin Call. I mean, that's really bold. Uh, and I, he do had he had definitely had Hollywood support. Like I noticed some of the names: Cassian Elways was one of the producers, Zachary Quinto, who did uh, Margin Call with him, yeah, and yeah. put up some money. So I, I really love the fact that J.C. Chandor has this infrastructure to do something like this and get support for it. And he got Redford to be in it. Well, exactly right. That sure, and it's that a pretty physical role. And shooting yeah. on the movie, shooting shit on the water is always an ordeal. Everybody hates it. Nobody does it twice. Let's, well, this this was actually, I think, this was uh, something that uh, J.C. Chander had in mind before Margin Call, and oh. it, it might be one of those so things. This was that, a free ride movie. Maybe. Well, I don't necessarily know, but I think this is one of those moments where he was working on it with the Sundance Institute, and he's just the first oh. kid who said, That's "Hey, Redford, right." <laughs> uh, be in my movie. And Redford's like, nobody's asked me that before. All right. <laughs> I don't know if that's really the case, but I have the sense that that is. And, and they also shot it, I'm assuming, from the thanks to James Cameron and the reference to Baja. W- weren't there these uh, nuclear uh, yeah. cooling towers that were used for Titanic where they could 
make it look like it was on the water uh, in a controlled situation. I'm assuming they shot that there. Dingus, do we know? Absolutely. They're, they're the tanks that they used for Titanic. They're the, and it is all this Baja stuff. It, it, what, there's this great moment at the end of the credits where, he, where they put, like, these are our favorite Baja restaurants. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, these are the, this is the, the area that they used for Titanic. This, these are the tanks uh, in Baja. You're absolutely right. Uh, how do we, what do we know about shooting the storm scene? Was there CG stuff there? Do we know? No, I have no idea, but maybe that's possible. I mean, you could do, wouldn't that work? Just background clouds and then thunder sound effect. Is that how they do it? <laughs> but then he's in the rain later. And then that's the guy thing. waving a sheet. Oh, the rain. Can we talk about that first rain moment? Yeah. What you mean when he, uh, when he seems to like it before yeah. it's a terrible <laughs> thing. He hates yeah. It. Uh, there's just so many little moments where the where you, you know in a, in another movie you're gonna have a, an actor or a, a voiceover telling you what that character is feeling. And Can I you imagine this that. movie with a voiceover, Dingus? I know. Seriously. <laughs> I just love that first rain moment where he comes out and it, it's Jeez. you know breaks your expectations and then he's just washing himself off for a few minutes. I mean, I just love that. Yeah. Um. Uh. Okay. Did it. A little nit. I don't know about nitpicks, but a couple of things that stood out for me, and I was like, "Really? Is that? Come on." <laughs> the ending. So, uh, no, I love the ending. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, but Lord. in Captain Phillips, they were constantly scanning the water. The fact that these these big old cargo ships almost ran him over and didn't see him. I don't know how I felt about that. Oh, I. But that was looking. I love that because of the yeah. the sound is there's no way they can hear him or see him and why can't they see him? They, in Captain Phillips, Phillips, dude, Captain yeah. Phillips, they have radar that detects and they see the Somali pirates in their little bass fishing boats. That's not uh, American ship though. He's just he's debris as far as yeah. uh, that's the more that's what's so irritating about it. It's like really I'm that fucking close and you I mean, dramatically yeah Kelly want I completely got the, the it happens in Master Commander all the time like they just missed the island by like a fucking 12 feet and then they're they're just stuck and then they just oh, it's so horrible all right well, let me bring up my other back, dude what kind of freaking stupid life raft doesn't have like a little transponder beacon thingamabob in it no i i agree with tom why isn't there some sort of transponder and, and furthermore why i like when he's in that situation redundant systems is is the is the rule of the day why does he have some other kind of like radio or satellite phone but i guess he did it did show him trying to dry out a satellite phone i believe okay so you know what i withdraw that and that's the sweetest ass life raft i've ever seen it's got the fucking roof it's got a knife it's got a knife that'd be great james bond would have sex for hours survival equipment Survival equipment, that's right, labeled, clearly labeled. Uh, it does look bills. Right. Yeah, that's the one thing. It, that's why it's a half price. So, like, everything else is good. I did love the couple of scenes where, where things capsized. Like, first of all, when his, when his life raft capsized, and he had to swim out and pull it back over. Yeah. But that first scene when his actual boat capsizes, was I was like flummoxed. It's foundering. No way, his boat yeah. turned over, dude. I know, and it keeps going on. One of the things I love about this is, uh, and, and my only minor nitpick would be uh, in that capsizing scene, um, and in a lot of those scenes, we I feel like we only know what he knows. We only have information that he has information about. And there's a couple of moments where they they succumb to the uh, to the temptation to go outside of what he knows to, to show give us it. a big old establishing shot. Exactly. Uh, not then. Well, no, no, not then. But I. 
but my only minor gripe is that I wish they would have been completely faithful to that idea the whole time we, through, like in Gravity. Well, we never, we never know what he doesn't know. We never well, have information right. he doesn't have. Like, and that's like married. Well, that's well, largely like the sharks, which are which which is cool. It's fine. Or there's there's one moment where where we're outside the ship and the camera does this this thing where it's 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 analogous to the teardrop on the on the lens or the water on the lens where where we dip below the surface and the and the camera and the and the sound we hear underwater sound all of a sudden it's it's stuff that he oh, doesn't yeah. know that that we right. get information about See, cameras, he's in a situation where like he's dipping and like he's he's well, getting wet too yeah. and getting in the water but that, so dingus what what i think why I think it works, and I think what J.C. Chandler was going for, and part of the way it was shot, is that he doesn't do that early on. There's no establishing shot of the boat when he's on it. Right. Later on in the movie, we get some of those after he has used this device of not giving us an establishing shot to make us identify with Robert Redford, to sort of identify with the character and his plight. And what that accomplishes for me um, is because we're only in the boat, we only see what he's seeing. Uh, you know, it's a bit like how Steven Spielberg did War of the Worlds, where everything is, for the most part, from Tom Cruise's perspective. Um, it makes it all that much more kind of shocking and poignant when he gets in the life raft and is looking back at the boat from the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, we have never seen the boat like that before. So I feel like that's the real payoff for the way that J.C. Chandor shoots it early on. And so then later on, he allows himself to do some of those bigger establishing shots to represent the loneliness of being at sea and the depth underneath him with all the sharks. Because um, that's how he would feel. He'd go, I got sharks under me, I'm, in the, I'm lost in this giant. Yeah, that's a good the camera doesn't show. Exactly. Well, it also exactly. starts... In darkness with him asleep, so it's right. be, it's beyond his consciousness uh, right. at the very very beginning. I mean, not just with uh, I'm I'm talking beyond the prologue, but when the container hits the ship, we're in darkness, even though it's daytime, and it's it's us sort of establishing outside of him. Uh, and there's there's a couple of shots. I mean, I love the shot of that first night over the hammock with the water underneath him in the boat. I, I like, I love the, the way that looks. The there's out. just, there's just a couple of moments later on where I just felt like, like this is an information he would have. And it's a minor nitpick. It's really minor. But um, I do think Kelly Wand is sort of right in that it's, it's more about like his state of mind yeah. is, is just increasingly despairing about just the vastness of the elements around him and his vulnerability and his loneliness. Um, and being deprived of his ship, you know, he's he's sort of adrift. He's literally adrift out on the ocean without the 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 boat that that had sort of anchored him previously. And maybe you need those shots to just go. This is an ocean, by the way. We didn't just shoot this in the tank. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a play. So there's, there's no way we can get that jellyfish in the shot if we don't go overhead. <laughs> but I know from reading the Master Commander books that capsizing is undesirable. <laughs> There's no other way to it's know. It's very that. consistent on that. Tell you what, I don't even need to read the Master and Commander boats. All I need no. is to see Poseidon Adventure. Mm. The That's original. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about the ending. Uh, Kelly Wan, you hate redemption at the end of movies. You must have loathed the way that all is lost. <laughs> no. Really? Eh, well, because, uh, you know. Redemption. It's not redemption, really. Wait yeah. Is that right? Re- that's not a character's rescued. Yeah, that's not the one I hate. Hating is redemption. You like people getting, you're okay with people getting rescued. I don't even think he was rescued. He, but you, wait, what? You think it's a mirage? Oh yeah, he's going to the light. 
I don't think that. I don't think what? that. Oh, Diggis. <laughs> Diggis is crazy. No, I do think it was a redemption of sorts, but he gets rescued. I'll, I'll go in a minute. But but he had to, it was an all-or-nothing gambit that finally paid off. When I said most of his projects fail, his last one doesn't. It's like I finally get a success. They saw the fire, and someone's actually going to fucking help me. Thank you. To be fair, do you know that his whole life raft was going to set on fire, though. No, <laughs> that might be his biggest screw I up. Kept, I kept watching, like, uh, when's that container gonna burn up? The, dude, no, don't put that, don't put that whole book in there. Don't do I that. Says he does. He goes, you know what? If this doesn't work, I'm done. I can't do this shit anymore. I'm out. But he makes that decision while he's doing it, and that's something that I like. The editing of this movie, visual flow is critical to its success. Like, it could have been boring of him just sitting in the boat but it's like even that ending he's at the he, he sees the ship coming in at the and he, he can tell he's thinking do i really want to go up even like it's probably <laughs> going to be more something stupid or going to the light like dingus says do i really need another uh, and then i gotta make the probably call the somali pirates from captain Phillips. right just go right up he's like really is it really happening is this ending really this movie but then he goes all right give it a shot so, so I dingus, you- the pacing of that mm-hmm Yes. Uh, Dingus, do you have this theory that you think that it is uh, basically his dying, like, like he died and it's a hallucination or something? Or what, what, what were you thinking? No, it's just him going to the light. It, it, I, don't, I, I don't think he gets rescued at the end. I think it's ridiculous. I, when I, does I that, don't think that? So the last real shot is him. Well, going, look at that light that's that's shining down into the water like a spotlight looking around for somebody. I just don't. Maybe that's how I it don't, is. I don't even know what that is. That it looks like a it looks like a weird cube floating. He's floating. It's called a. It's what a boat looks like from underneath. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Okay. So Dingus, do you think that he didn't really see a light in the distance? No, no. Well, you know, he might have been. I think James Franco's character is still trapped under the rock. I hope so. In real life, now he's he's in a swimming pool somewhere. Tom, do you think Dingus is is? Well, no, I want to hear more about Dingus. So, but I mean, do you, you think that he d- did see something in the distance? He lit his uh, his life raft on fire. It burned, and he drowned before they could. That was ambiguous. An ambiguous ending. Um, I I think if you want to make that moment explicit, you make it explicit, and if you don't, you leave it up to interpretation. What moment? Wait, what? Moment? I thought it was explicit. I really did, but maybe. Wait, 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 wait. Like what moment do what what moment do you mean make explicit? Him being rescued. I don't think he's they did. Uh, he, he they you see the hands touch. There's a second actor actually hired to grab his hand. Yeah. I, that, I, right. I mean I, and, I, and who is that who's that person credited as? Our hand? Uh Ooh. he didn't have a line, so they don't have to credit him. That's the way this guy works. Credits happened. Signed Dingus. So uh I I like that. Uh, it, that no, it's just cause I it's what I hope for the most. I didn't want him to be rescued. I thought that Oh, he's, he's been through enough. Because, because of, he hates Robert Redford, he wants him no, to drown. No, it's not just that. It's that it's it's the way that 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 opening letter plays out, and and everything that okay. he's done. I think his end is noble. I think his right. his, his end is noble, and that's what I want for the ending. Okay, so well, it, me, it very well might be that he was rescued, but that's not the way it's I'm. It's not noble. It. Okay, and I don't think it's I don't think it's explicated. Well, let me suggest he's suiciding. That's not noble. That's your noble. You're like in open water. In open water, it's not when the chick floats away and dies. It's like, ah, oh, she did it. Yeah, good work. It's not a suicide in the way that that happens in the middle of gravity. It's not that kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. him. <laughs> Wait a minute. He has done exactly what he said. He he has tried every single thing he can do as What's as suicide in gravity. And his, in his letter, he said, okay. I, I tried every single thing I could, and now I'm letting go. And well, I, let me suggest a letter thing. 
Can I go? Let me yeah. suggest things. I think you're kind of missing the what I'm guessing, and I could be wrong, but I think you're kind of missing the. Po- I don't know about the point of the movie. Um, as I watched the movie, I I wanted to. I, I thought I, I wanted to sort of consider. You know, what does this have in common with Margin Call? Uh, J.C. Chandor wrote and directed both of them. Uh, when the editor Pete. Boudreaux emailed us. He said he saw some striking similarities himself, which makes sense. So as I was watching it, I was thinking, okay, what what does this have in common with with Margin Call? Uh, And again, as I was watching it, I couldn't help but think, well, nothing. (laughs) You know, there's one character. There's no talking. Uh, It's not a financial crisis. It's a survival drama. But I I think where I see commonality with Margin Call uh, has to do with what I feel is the overall point. And, and that I feel would be, and it's my interpretation, would be absolutely opposed to him dying at the end. Um, and I think that what the movie is getting at is in a way the opposite of, of gravity. You know, gravity is about cling to life. You know, no matter what, don't give up. And even the tagline for gravity is don't let go. Um, it, it's about a woman who's sort of lost interest in life, and it's about her recovering that through this survival drama. Um the opposite, I think, is the case here. And there's this idea, and you see some of this in Margin Call, that only after you've come through despair and after you've lost everything, only after you have let go and, and resigned yourself to defeat and to loss and to grief and to pain, um, only then do you discover yourself. Yeah. Uh, and only, only then, that is how we are who we are, is through, through the act of letting go. Um, you know, you have to burn your lifeboat, <laughs> literally. Um, you have to abandon ship. Uh, and you even have to just let yourself sink into the water. You have to say goodbye. There's almost this, um, like 12 step program thing. <laughs> like he, he makes amends with that letter and then throws it in the water. And only after surrendering, basically, uh, can you be, and I do see it as a sort of a, a, a redemption. Uh, and as I was watching and sort of thinking of this and thinking about it on the drive home, I could almost imagine, and I can't help but think that J.C. Chandor would approve, I could almost imagine that this character who is unnamed might have been one of those investment bankers in Margin Call yeah. who, who didn't get fired, who in fact made it through the the financial crisis and was just fine and decided to go on a sailboat and as this terrible thing happened maybe the apology was to the rest of the world to what he had done <laughs> that it's part of the same karmic universe that jc chandor created in margin call um so dingus for me it's important that at that moment when he's letting himself sink to the bottom of of the water that it doesn't end in death but it, that it does end in an actual rescue uh, at least in terms of how I was thinking of the movie uh, in the context I was trying to fit it into. So in, in that regard, Dingus, my interpretation would be that he absolutely does live and that it's a literal hand that grabs him and plucks him out of the water. Okay, uh, I would I would say that uh, for as far as I'm concerned, a figurative hand is just as effective because he I, I think that he has, you know, what I, what I get from that whole first thing that he did and Again, I would agree with you with a lot of what you're just saying about margin call, um, because a lot of what people use as a metaphor when they talk about the people going underwater and uh, and drowning, as far as the financial crisis is concerned, would apply. Um, but uh, but I think that him being able to 
have I, I still think it's redemptive, but I just think it's redemptive in a different way. You know, we, that first thing where I, I imagine this guy and his family and him wanting to be isolated from them or just wanting right. – not isolated from them, but wanting to, to live a life on the sea alone or trying to sail – through the Indian Straits alone and wanting to try things alone and he's apologizing for that. I think that last moment is redemptive. I just don't think it's survival. But but no, I just don't think it's physical survival. I just think it's soulful survival, which is ridiculous. Uh, I, I just don't I don't see it as uh, oh, yay, we have a Hollywood ending where this guy gets pulled onto a ship and then dried off and taken home and he gets to write his memoirs. Uh, I just see, I, I think that the reason we have that um, opening prologue with a message in a pickle bottle or whatever that bottle is, uh, which is great because it's not like a Hollywood bottle, uh, <laughs> the reason we have it before the end is because we don't have an end. We don't have that end where he can write his memoirs. Uh, and that's and fine. I, I think both of those work, but just for me, watching the movie and seeing that moment where it's like reaching toward the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, but I still think it's redemptive. I, I still agree with most of what you said. I just don't, I don't think that whether or not he physically survives matters. There is something so otherworldly about that imagery, too. The burning ring and the moon and the boat. I mean, it really yeah, does yeah, look yeah. like something out of Life of Pi or something at that point. It's like something that someone would, ima- would, something that someone would imagine. Almost. Well, the, the same guy, actually, uh, the same guy shot both of those moments. under uh, Not those moments, but the, uh, the underwater photography is done by the same dude. The guy who did Life of hmm. Pi? Yeah, well, it, well, there's two different there's two different cinematographers. <laughs> right. Um, uh, the the guy who did most of the cinematography Surface. is named Frank, Frank DeMarco, uh, but the underwater uh, cinematography is done by somebody named um, uh, Peter Zuccarini, and he did the the underwater photography in Life of Pi. So it, so there's there's a reason uh, why it feels that way. Yeah, mystical. Oh, it really does, and it, and it does. It felt it feels that way. I mean, I I love so many of those underwater moments, like that first moment where the where the little fish and the crab are like nibbling at the bottom of the boat. I mean, I love that that underwater stuff. So. And we even we got a shark scare too. <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> On but the set that you know what? I did kind of – there's this is weird thing, and I love the music in this, and this is another thing. I'm sorry to harp on gravity because I do love gravity. But, gravity. Oh. but one of the things about uh, gravity was the sound of it. Um, here he goes. He's going to rage again. Oh, here he goes. I'm not okay, going to turn into a rage monster. It's sound. Um, <laughs> but the, the music in this is so well modulated. Um, and I, I love the, not just the sound design, but the way the music is actually feathered into the, into the story. Uh, whereas in, in gravity, the first time I was kind of off put by that because, you know, she says, my favorite thing is silence. And then you're like thrown. Well, that's not her favorite thing. That's what the movie's telling you. <laughs> but I, I, I just love the, I love the way the music is done. Uh, the music at one point escalates. Like there's a, there's a sort of an under, like a, a theme that that's very, um, it's not obtrusive that they use several times. But then during the second storm, when he's in the life raft, uh, and it, it has a, a vocal quality to it. There's singers yeah. in it. I loved that bit of music, um, and I also loved Robert Redford's reaction. 
at that point where he curls up and he puts his hands over his ears because yeah. I was I was fully expecting that we were going to get some sort of Lear style outburst. Um, <laughs> but instead, it was so perfect that he just wants it all to go away. So he's not lashing out at it. He's just kind of withdrawing. Uh, and I loved that reaction. Um, and we only we did I guess the one Lear style outburst uh, we did get. <laughs> Which is what was responsible for this not being a rated PG movie uh, was just so uh, just just human and funny and and I loved how it seemed like it was coming out of a throat that was unused to speaking because he hadn't talked or to saying anything. that word which is new I think for Robert Redford movies. You think he, he, does, he doesn't cuss? That when character? does he say fuck? Does he say fucking all the presidents, man? No, it's uh, right before they leave the barn in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. But he's well, quoting well, it from Lear, right? Well, more pertinent is that when you watch Margin Call, fuck is just thrown around whenever they want. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, they're a very, yeah. very, they're a very coarse uh, group, those investment bankers, Dingus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, K- Kelly Wand, what, is there anything that you would say was like missing from this movie that you feel that it really needed to just be more perfect? Uh, on the set, the container's name was Bruce. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. Counting. Named after uh, J.C. Chandor's lawyer, I, I believe. Oh. A bit of trivia. Well, I thought that guy's name was Container. <laughs> JK. Um, does that answer your question, though? What was it, the question? I was... <laughs> I sound out. Uh, I was thinking about... Did, exactly... Dinka said yep. silence, and I kind of just pretended I did what Robert De Niro did. Shut, put my hands over my eyes. Robert De Niro? Yeah, the guy in the boat. Cast all is lost with Robert De Niro. I mean, Duvall. Which yeah. one? <laughs> De Niro, Kelly Wan, is busy. Yeah. De Niro is busy doing grudge match. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, Redford. Don't you look. Uh, oh. Let's do a three by three. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, Is what, that a question? what I want from you guys are movies that are in black and white after Raging Bull, Ugh. after 1980. Was that was that difficult? I know Dingus. Uh, there was a, at least one casual. Yeah. You always got to math it up, don't you? I know. I know. Just like D and D, can't make it easy. Uh, so these are three movies that have to be in black and white and that are in black and white, where the black and white is uh, earned. We saw Nebraska last week. Ah. We mostly felt that the black and white in that was a bit gratuitous, didn't serve much purpose. I thought otherwise. Uh, well, I think Dingus and I then will we'll, we'll claim that opinion. Uh, so these are movies, though, that <laughs> must be in black and white. <laughs> Summing it up, are you? Kelly Wand, uh, are you doing next week's 3 No, by- I did last Dingus. week's Secretary. That's right, Secretaries. Dingus, you're doing next week's 3 by 3 so why don't you start us off with this week's by giving us your number three pick for a movie that must be in black and white. But it was. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but it was. Remember? All right, this is a movie that I've begged you fellas to see over and over and over again, but nobody will ever see because nobody likes movies. Um, uh, this is a movie called Control. Um, the thing about the Al Jazeera uh, media outlet? What's a media outlet? 
I guess they're a TV station. I'm a few steps behind. There is a documentary called Control Room that I keep confusing this control with room. whenever Dingus talks about Control, which I think Control, Dingus, tell me if I'm wrong. Isn't Control a movie about a band like NXS or Joy Division or Get Smarts Bosses or Sticky it, Ends or something like that? It's, it's about Joy Wait, Division. Joy Division. Okay. Hmm. I wouldn't know Joy Division from uh, the the the. I don't know. Oh, ouch. Ooh. What's the famous Joy Division song? Talk, talk. That one song. Oh, uh, no one that could, one, no one uh, Crazy and Beautiful. What does it go You're like? Sick and You're Beautiful. You got me like an instamatic, that one. Isn't that them? Man, the, their most famous song is Love Will Tear Us Apart. Yeah. Um, no, that song either. That sounds like some Motown thing. I think it's their most famous song. I don't know Joy Division, and um, I didn't know it before seeing the movie Control. Um, but really, I mean, more more than being about Joy Division, it's about Ian Curtis, the the singer, and and how. Uh, well, that's even I even know who that is less. Grace Flicks in the one when it was Airplane. Well, that's that's why you watch the movie, and and this is why I love the fact that it's in black and white because um, I, I don't need another rock and roll movie in color. <laughs> yeah, Tom. Um, but I, I just, I really, I'm, I, you know, I don't know what to do with. I didn't know what to do with this category, other than, to, than choosing a number one that you, you threw off as a joke to me earlier today, um, and one of ah. that is totally obvious. Um, I, I'm just, I really want you guys to see this movie. I think, right. I think, I think Control is a really good movie. I think it's, it's a fascinating portrait of this. This artist who is clearly somebody who has a disability he doesn't understand, or when he does understand it, he can't cope with it. What? And what disability? You should watch the movie. Oh. Uh, darn it. He's spoiling it just enough to intrigue. Well, Dingus, the problem is if there's one thing worse than junkies are tedious, as far as like a movie subject, <laughs> it, is, it, it is, boy, it's hard being a rock star. No way, Mark. In movie Rockstar, Mark. Well, Wall, th- well think of it. It's, it's, it, I totally agree with you, and that's why I... I you know, I, I laughed every time I listened to Bon Jovi talking about, you know, the I, I'm a cowboy song. Because, you know, being on the road is so hard when you have right. all this money and all these women throwing themselves at you. Yeah, uh, the bus part sounds lame. But but this is just, this is a portrait of an artist. It, it's much more it's much more a portrait of an artist. And it's 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 this guy who has seizures, basically, and nobody knows why. And he what? Has to figure it That's out. his disability seizure having? <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> and I gotta find a cure for those. Yeah, but it just—it's just so well done. Uh, and 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 the guy who who, gosh, what's his name? I, I can't. Stuart I'm Townsend. suddenly I'm suddenly blanking on the guy who plays. Uh, it's um, darn it. It's someone like Stuart Townsend or Jim Sturgis or someone I think Sam, I Sam uh, Sam darn it Sam Riley I think. Um, oh oh oh! What did I see him in recently? Why do I know who that is? Kelly Wand, who's Sam Riley? We saw him in something recently, but uh, but Samantha Morton is in his in it as well, and she's okay. the the person who has to deal with him. And it's just it's I loved this movie so much, and I think it's perfect in black and white. So there you go. Hmm. Kelly Wand, are you sold? Mm, I prefer movies where people are out of control. Well, it sounds like having seizures. Like rock stars. Kind of what, yeah. yeah anyway. uh, I guess who, the boost isn't really about a boost. It's ironic. Who directed Control? <laughs> I guess maybe you can sell me there. Uh, do you know who Anton Corbijn is? Uh, he's Actually, this is not a lie. He's a character in the Splinter Cell game, I believe. 
Does that satisfy your curiosity? I don't think that's the one Dingus is thinking of. But uh, no, he he directed uh, the the movie The American. Oh, okay. Uh, well, that's all you had to say, Dingus. Wait, did you like that movie? Yeah, yeah. Dingus. Uh, I, all I, you I, had to say was, Tom, why don't you see the movie guy the guy made. who made The American did before The American? And I would have been like, Yeah, sure, okay. He's into less is more titles for his films. <laughs> wait, is that movie good? Because I thought you said it was long and boring and slow and like a guy staring at a gun. Oh, no, wait, you like that? It does not necessarily mean it's not good. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's uh, it's all of those things, Kelly Wan, but it also has great non-fake physical gestures. It's it's awesome <laughs> watching George Clooney build a gun. Uh, and there's some cool um, sort of crossing and double-crossing stuff that they do. Aren't these gestures all faked since they're acting? I mean... Mm. I don't know. I don't. I think you're I an actor. Like, I thought you would know the answer. To that. Well, I feel like George Clooney, after shooting the American, could actually build a gun. Like I, I, think, I distrust any sentences you say that start with "I felt like George Clooney." <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly, in that case, why don't you then tell me about a black and white movie that has to be in black and white? Oh, is it your counter challenge? Is it? <laughs> uh, I tried to stick with movies that aren't in black and white because of the time period. So it's like. It was black and white because not because it was set in the fifties or something. Ah, I see. Uh, for an artistic choice, right? Yeah. Kelly, I, I like already. You don't normally make things this difficult on yourself. You normally just pick zapped. So I like where this is but going. That's in color, so you took that off the table. Exactly. <laughs> right away. I watched zapped with sunglasses on, and <laughs> that's like one D. But you know, when people were watching black and white movies in the 20s, did they even know? Like, was everything in black and white? <laughs> there was no color in the world then. That's right. Color had not been invented. Mm, that makes... Okay, well, that answers my next few questions. Uh, so my number three is uh, the movie... I'll give you a quote from it. Ah, yes. <clears throat> hey, wherever we go, it's like we've been there already. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. No. That's not true of them. <laughs> They've never been there. You obviously don't follow the plots. Is it, uh, dude, where's my car? <sighs> That's not time travel. That's not time travel. Oh. Why don't you tell us? Ugh, that's not as fun. That'd be just like the listener skipping to me actually saying it instead of listening to all this magic. <laughs> you guys give up? Tom give does up. it. I give uh, up. Because otherwise I'm just going to start rattling off black and white movies yeah. that will be then, on people's lips. Then we'll be in trouble. Uh, <laughs> fail safe. That, see? See, uh, you know what? This is why Dingus, see, Dingus sabotaged your category because he was pissed off about the 1980 thing. Well, fail safe was from before 1980, I'm pretty Well, sure. that's what I'm saying. But he would have said fail safe. It's because you said Raging Bull, he said control. Okay, then I'm going to guess spinning. Dr. Strangelove. <gasps> You're close. <laughs> Way before 1980. <laughs> For mine? Actually, what year is, was Doctor Strangelove before we were born? That can't be yeah, true. A lot 1964, of is that right? 63. Or wow, holy cats. Because Kennedy's death. No, it was 64. That was 64. I mean, regardless, none of us, Doctor Strangelove is older than any of us. Like, they were making movies that good that long ago, is what's then amazing they to me. Then we grew up and they stopped making anything good. They stopped Except making movies. Yeah. Yeah. The, All right, Kelly, so uh, I'm animated. putting you down for... Then we went, let's do a podcast about them now that it's 30 years too late. <laughs> Kelly, I'm putting you we, down for Dr. Strangelove. No. Oh, what? Sorry. Ooh. I'm sorry. What, I forgot what you said. Your uh, 
It's uh, Stranger Than Paradise, which I think has to be in black and white because it's funnier that way. And the landscapes are prosaic, and it reflects the character's poverty, small ambitions, and mean worldview. I have a serious question. What? Um, Has Jim Jarmusch done any color movies? Ghost Dog is his color. (laughs) I I think we should have eliminated Jim Jarmusch. (laughs) Well, I just can't afford any color. That's the one that I think needs to be in black and white. It's Stranger Than Paradise. Okay. Like, Down by Law should have been in color. Certainly Dead Man. They didn't have to be, and you said it had to be. Right. So Stranger Than Paradise. I mean, where is that? Is it Detroit or something? Pittsburgh, I think. Pittsburgh, yeah. And then they drive to Florida, and it's still dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great tagline. I remember sitting, there were people sitting behind me who hated that movie, and I was like, why are they not thinking this is funny? And part of the magic of Stranger Than Paradise, too, is that Jim Darmouche hadn't really been this, like, codified way of making a movie yet, at least when I saw it. I remember, you know, you go see a Jim Darmouche movie now, and you're kind of expecting that. But uh, It's still his best movie, I think. The Way There Is of Our Dogs is kind of the best Quentin Tarantino. Man, you might have a point, Kelly Wand. Yeah, come flying out of the gate, even George Lucas. Kelly Wand just made a point. Sometimes, uh, by accident, I do make a point. And occasionally, by accident, 2% of those are correct. <laughs> All right. Stranger Than Paradise, good pick. Uh, yep. I am picking. So this one is kind of a cheat because, Kelly Wan, it's like you said, this movie is in black and white. Because, fail. Well, because it's about movies that were shot in black and white. Ah. And I love the self-referential quality of Ed Wood being in black and white, right. being about Ed Wood's movies. I also love how... You can't really have Martin Landau so vividly realizing that nobody knows what Bella Lugosi looks like in color. That's just not part of there. There's no he doesn't even. Yeah, well, he, he probably didn't even exist in no, color. Like, so can't what? imagine Bella Lugosi in color. What color are his eyes? Act in color. He's yeah. And so the fact that Ed Wood is in black and white, I feel, is hugely important to, to what. And Tim Burton, how much did it kill him, by the way, to not get to do crazy, wacky, like Batman style stuff? That's his one good movie. Name, name one that's good. Okay, hold on. Uh, a lot of people tell me, I haven't seen it in forever, but I have been told repeatedly by people who I'm not sure they know this. I'm not sure I trust them to know this, but I've been told repeatedly that Edward Scissorhands is really good. No, it's no? his less good Ed movie. Okay. Dingus, can you rise to that challenge that Kelly Wan just threw down? What's a good Tim Burton movie? It's not Ed Wood. Batman Forever. Beetlejuice is the best Tim Burton movie of all time. Uh, on rebuttal. Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis aren't convincingly married. Wait, hold on. Thing is, you're saying that Beetlejuice is better than Ed Wood? Yes. I love Beetlejuice. Uh, are you what? is he is he just if, if I have to say it again, he's going to appear and he's going to uh, dis- dismiss you. Don't make me say the name of the movie again. Kelly Wand, I think Dingus might have like a a, a week no, a thing for well no it's a thing for like <laughs> no, what I, else is new I think he might have this like childhood thing for like like Michael like as he was growing up as a boy he probably wanted to be Michael Keaton look Ed, Ed Wood is fine and I can pretend to like it but I don't I don't care for those movies uh, I mean I'm I don't have a <gasps> what are you talking about oh my God what are you talking about space. Yes. Who cares? oh. Let's let's celebrate uh, crappy movies. Yay! Beetlejuice is a great movie and great. It's a great comedic hold on, movie. I, it's, it's I want great to, performances right? by three great actors, and it has hilarious. It's just Beetlejuice okay. is fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Dingus, real quick. 
Ed Wood is not celebrating crappy movies. It's no. celebrating the, the, the sort of the, the tragedy and the craft of someone like Bella Lugosi. It's no, just, no, yeah, I, I understand so, that, but it's pull the strings. <laughs> Pulls your heartstrings. It's Sorry. also celebrating a, a director who constantly cut corners. It's like making a Roger Corman movie. That's fine if you, if you love those movies. Then watch Johnny Depp's awesome in it. He's like a, he's doing like a Reagan. Look, I like Ed Wood. It's fine. I like the movie. It's fine. Fine. Oh my God, he just said Ed Wood was Orlando won an Oscar. He did. He did air quotes too. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly it's what I did. It's fine. That's exactly what I did, air quotes. Beetlejuice, masterpiece. Beetlejuice. Nothing uneven about that movie. Beetlejuice knocks that out. There's no... Wow. Uh, that shrunk and head ending, man, always gets me. It totally right. wrapped up everything in a exactly tidy... Right. You're exactly right. Thing is, can, I, can, I just, can I ask you something? Like, Was I even close with this idea that as a, as a kid, like Michael Keaton was a kind of a hero of yours? Like from Batman, from Beetlejuice, from other awesome. wacky movies. Right. Like, Was Michael Keaton a, a, an important fixture of like your, your childhood adulation towards certain adult celebrities? No, I hated him. Night Shift's good. I really hated. I hated. Mr. Hey, you Mom. hate Michael Keaton? I, I hated. I hated Mr. I'm, Mom. You hate Mom? That. Mr. Mom's good. It's got Jeffrey Tambor in it. The you can say it's. You can say it's great. I didn't really care you for it. Bill, but he hates Michael Keaton. He hates Michael. Mr. Mom's not really a hateable movie. Like he has. I, I hated it. I hated it for other reasons. I just didn't oh. like them. All right. Okay. I guess I called that wrong. Dingus, what does it do to? Do, then how do you feel about me it's telling you? Blanket. What? Uh, is, how do you feel about me telling you that there's a movie where Michael Keaton is the villain nowadays? Uh, like it's a modern movie. Uh, Michelle Monaghan's like a blind woman, and she's being terrorized by some dudes. And Michael Keaton terrorizes her. She lives in a in a high rise, like a penthouse. The movie's actually called Penthouse North, and she has a cat. <laughs> and Michael Keaton is wanting her to tell him uh, information. Uh, about where <laughs> something is hidden. Wait, now I'm all ears. I was zoning out. Now that I know the MacGuffin's information, Tom, continue. So to get her to talk, he, he out on the balcony, he threatens to throw her cat off of the balcony of this high-rise uh, apartment building. And then he does it. He oh. throws a cat off the top of a skyscraper. Michael She's blind. He could have faked it. I know, exactly. That's the whole thing. He totally could faked it, but he does it. He just chucks it off of... Yeah, I did it. And then she goes, I don't believe you. You just fucked with me. No, I really did it. No. Nope. There's actually someone else there who does say, dude, you didn't have to do that. Um, so he's a jerk as far as I'm concerned. Any actor who will do that in a movie, if I had been cast in that part, I would have said to the director, I'm sorry, I'm not I don't, I'm not going to do that. I just feel uncomfortable doing Cats something. always get bitched in the movies. Mm. Cats are always a bad guy. And I think Michael Keaton is the is the cats of the movie. That darn cat. They do show okay. at the end of the movie. They do show a scene of a cat. Michael Keaton eventually falls off of the skyscraper, and they show uh, a scene of the cat like licking the blood off of Michael Keaton's. Oh, the cat lives. <laughs> That's okay. That's the implication. It's sort of like they couldn't commit to this idea of cat killing. Um, all right. So anyway, Ed Wood, my number three favorite movie that has to be in black and white, and in fact is in black and white. I take it the information he wanted wasn't cat-related. No, it was where is the drug money <laughs> hidden that reports... In the cat. <laughs> that would have been the fun, that would have been the answer I would have given him. Suck it, Keith. Where's the information? Well, you just threw it off of the ledge. Yeah, nice oh. going. Oh, oh, you yeah. know. Oh. Only the cat knew the combination in the safe. <laughs> only, uh, the, only the cat knows. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number two pick? By the way, did you have a... That also happens to Mr. Mom, by the way, which is... <laughs> 
thing is, did you have a quote from Control? Because I want to hear the accent. I, I don't have a quote. I'm sorry. All right. Well, maybe you have a quote from your number two favorite movie that has to be in black and white. Position. I do have a quote from it. Uh, here's the quote. Good night and good luck. <laughs> oh, damn it. Why does That's a great one. Yeah, it is a good one. Why does it have to be in black and white? I love that movie so much. It does have to be in black and white, but boringly. <laughs> what? Boringly? What do you Well, no, just because it has because it's, it's from the time period. It's like, well, that's only, only what I meant by boringly. I do love it. Well, this is why I was so pleased that we uh, we had to harp on George Clinton so much my first time around. Um, I, I just I just I love this movie, and it has to be in black and white because it's about this era in American journalism that takes place in black and white. Was it straight? It's it's hugely bold to do that, and you know George Clooney isn't shy about this. I mean, he did, and you know this is why I was sort of like holding my tongue when we were talking about Failsafe is because George Clooney produced the remake of Failsafe. Uh, yeah, he was in it and he produced it. He championed this sort of live TV broadcast of Failsafe, when which is that? one of my favorite movies. This was in the 80s. Uh, no, I don't know when it was. Uh, but It is Failsafe. It, it was later than that, but uh, it was, wasn't in the 80s. It almost been 2000-something or other. Um, but George Clooney hugely championed the movie Failsafe, which is one of my favorite movies ever. Um, but this this particular movie that was written, well, you know, he wrote it with, jeez. Uh, Grant Hesloff. Thank you, Tom. Grant Hesloff. Um, and he directed it. It's just perfect in black and white. There's no way that movie can be in color because of the, the era of news that it's trying to portray. And if for no other reason than watching David Strathairn um, as Edward R. Murrow smoking, uh. smoking while in the studio and seeing the, the, the way the studio looks with those cameras and George Clooney like sort of crouched underneath him uh. and the, and the smoke like curling off of his fingers in black and white. Uh, I think that movie has to be in black and white. Kelly, so, I rebuttal. Uh, I guess he's right. <laughs> but I don't understand why Clooney's done enough good things to not need. Like, wasn't Confessions of a Dangerous Mind good? Or no, well, well, George Clooney famously went into his uh, agent or manager or whatever at a certain point in his career and said, uh, what do I need to do to make sure that I never have to do another movie I don't want to do again? Uh, I want to be able to direct movies like Good Night and Good Luck. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to do things that I don't have to do. I want to be able to direct what I want to direct and, you know, do even if it's men who stare at goats. Uh, I want to be able to do that. And he, he did that, and he's sort of forged a career that involves that. Wait, hold on, Dingus. Your bear, what, does, what did his uh, agent tell him? Because I want to know. Well, it was it was more of a, of a financial decision, which is oh. like, <laughs> first, <laughs> famous first, story. No, it was just like <laughs> storm to an office and went, what do I need to do? Well, you got to decide this. Piece of paper. No, no, no. It was, uh, it was uh, like, this is the amount of money you want. This is the amount of money you okay. Here so you go. First, you got to get a million bucks. Yeah. First. Is that whole conversation? <laughs> Just get this about. No, it, it was kind of that. It was like, I don't ever want to have to do X movie again. How do I do the movies I want to do? And how do I do that for the rest of my life? And so they, so it was, it was sort of like, you know, a financial planning meeting. It was like, 
you, okay? So Batman. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks, it, Joel Schumacher. That's one of the things that Joel Schumacher gave us. It's George <laughs> Clooney not Joel wanting Schumacher to do it. got you. Good night. Good luck. Uh, yeah, it might have been a response to that, actually. <laughs> I know lovely ever bones, wanna, or I, lovely bones got us Hobbit. Christopher O'Donnell's rubber nipples again. Yeah. Uh, hear that, Tom? <laughs> Kelly, I was expecting to hear a growl from you. That reference. Whose nipples? Those little sounds. Well, it's got. Was, I forget. The, the nipples can't just be disembodied. I have a new rule about that. Uh, Kelly Wand, what is your number two pick for a movie that must be in black and white that may or may not feature Chris O'Donnell's nipples? Uh, they do. Oh no, wait, they don't. Oh. That's my number one. Um, okay, I might have broken the topic on this one. Is the movie in black and white? Well, this scene is. That's not. It's the movie has to be in black and white. It has to be a black and white movie. <laughs> okay, good night, good luck then. <laughs> What were you? What partially black and white? What color movie with a black and white scene were you going to pick? Pineapple Express in the beginning. <laughs> Good Lord, in the army. Well, this scene is. This. Huh. is that, so that was my number two. Is Pineapple is Pineapple Express a movie in black and white? Well, it depends on if you watch it in black and white or if you're colorblind. <laughs> Good point. And you could turn the color down and watch it. And I saw. Oh, it has to be this way because my I watch. It has to be in black and white if you watch on a black and white TV. Mm. Do those still exist anymore, by the way? What, TVs? Black, I don't think you get a black and white TV anymore. I don't think no, but they come with color settings you can turn down, which is how it's Avatar. Well, and isn't that how some movies in black and white are shot? Don't they shoot them in color and then do a post-black and white process? No, that's called IMAX. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, so well, gonna... even... I, I think what if Gravity was a black and white? Well, Good, good Night and Good Luck was filmed on color stock, but... But, but then he made the uh, what's the Soderbergh one with him? Called Maybe the- we should hold that thought until we do oh, our runners out. No, <laughs> Soderbergh's done a couple of black and white movies, I believe. Kopka? But we'll get to that. Thanks for, and good yeah, German. Thank yes. you. Well done. Thanks for, thanks. Uh, but but they <laughs> but they still they film it on on, uh, on color stock. But I can't I can't from I can't remember what the process is. The pineapples but, are black and white. But they do the. Uh, the black and white during pro- post production, like is it's like there's a grayscale kind of a thing going on. Right. But good, good night, and good luck did that. Yeah. So I went. Which which actually it makes me it makes it fascinating to think, you know, there could be a DVD with, uh, good night and good luck, in color. And ew, which, gross. Yeah, which <laughs> totally bothers me. Wizard of Oz in black and white, except for the Kansas parts. <laughs> Those are color, <laughs> confusingly. You should. I wish the topic was three movies that should have been in black and white, like Star Wars. Well, that you can certainly pick that for an upcoming exactly. topic if you want. You like that? You could read so, it. You what, what, what's your number two again? Uh, uh, got one. Uh, I only wrote two of them. So good. Good night. Good luck was what I was gonna pick, but then I forgot about it, so I didn't write it down. So that's my right. So I'm so going to put down Pineapple Express. Pineapple Express, yes. So similar to yours, Dingus, uh, this one has to be black and white. It's because of the era it's set in. It certainly is uh, the the mood that the Coen brothers are evoking, uh, but it's the smoking, it's the hats. Yeah. Ah, Miller's good. Crossing, beautiful movie, but Miller's Crossing should totally be in black and white. So they totally got it right when they did The Man Who Wasn't There. Although, actually, you know what? Miller's Crossing is so... There's so much like personality and it's so vibrant. I guess I'll I'll cut them some slack for that being in color. It's about Irish Cause man, people. Because man who wasn't there is so much more downbeat and existential and depressing. And also, when you just Roger Deakins, I mean it's so Roger Deakins. Uh, man who wasn't there is in, 
is a gorgeous movie. Um, and I just, it, I, I would hate to imagine there's a color version of the man who wasn't there. That just doesn't seem like, it seems like the universe is wrong if that's a thing. Um, to turn. And the, the, the barber uh, shop pole, for instance. Mm. Like, even that should totally be in black and white. I cannot imagine the barber shop poles and man who wasn't there ever being, I don't want to see that in color. It totally needs to be in black and white. So there you go. And yeah, Ted Turner, get your fingers off man who wasn't there. Wait, so it's just because it looks good? Uh, because it looks good and because of the time period that it's set. Yeah, okay. And it's sort of evoking this this early noir kind of – it's not a thriller because it's so downbeat. Um, it's a – what do you call double in, – uh, in, oh, a noir. That's I mean, the word I'm looking for. It's, oh. it's, it's evoking <laughs> that sort of older noir. And noir, by the way, is French for black and white. No way. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> I think you're full of shit, but maybe you're right. <laughs> I'm half right. Hmm. Dingus, they what have is your, one word for two colors. <laughs> what is your number one pick, Dingus, for a movie in black and white that must be in black and white? Uh, well, uh, you know, I'm just going to go for Raging Bull because I have to. What? Uh, I thought it couldn't be Raging Bull. Yeah. yeah. Why can't it be? Because I just took it off the table and said it had to be after Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Raging Bull is not after Raging Bull. Raging Bull is concurrent with Raging That's Bull. I said the words Raging Bull a bunch of times. You didn't say Raging Bull a bunch of times because if this is going to be your number one, you maybe want to know Raging Bull. Blah, 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 blah. I don't remember him saying that it can't be Raging Bull because of Raging Bull and Raging Bull. I said it had to be after Raging Bull. I don't even listen to him, and I heard it. <laughs> But you can pick. Go ahead. You know what, Dingus? I'll make an exception in your case because you don't have a color movie on your list. Now my number two looks awesome. <laughs> I mean, unlike Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan has a color movie on his list. He can't pick Raging Bull. Dingus, you don't have any color movies on your list, so you can have Raging Bull. Yeah. All right. This is the worst. <laughs> I'm gonna stop right there. Would I have to pick Angel A instead? Lord. Oh my God! Wow. Ooh, tough room. Whose turn is it? This is terrible. This is a fucking disaster. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is your number one favorite black and white oh. movie that has to be in black and white and, in fact, is in black and white? You are not expecting this. Very excited about uh, this. Uh, My number one is Nebraska because you fuckers didn't get it, and no one got it. Okay. No one actually like this movie. No one gets this movie. I think it's a masterpiece that no one understands but me. And uh, explain to us why it has to be in black and white, because I would... If it, here's the thing. Okay. Life? This is the point of Nebraska. I wasn't really picking, picking Raging Bull. Oh. <laughs> I totally thought Dingus was picking Raging Bull. Kelly Wan, can you hold that thought? Fine. Sorry. Wait, he went on... He, Tom, he, let, he went on for hours about this. <laughs> I, thought, I, I think Raging it's, Bull it's is... Nebraska, and then... By the Raging, way... Raging Bull is the perfect, perfect pick. For the same reasons, Tom won't la- let us have a. Then why uh, you for ten minutes? I mean, you didn't say Raging Bull last week. What are you talking about? Or did you not argue that for ten minutes? Like I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I'm one? not sure what's going on here, but I think we're going back to Dinks' actual number one pick. Hold okay. on, it's just in. Sorry. Uh, um, <laughs> Watch, it's Raging Bull, and this was this was the bullshit. Watch raging bullshit. No, it's this, it's this great movie that I saw at Sundance called uh, Thirteen Submitting. Um, that's uh, that's this little movie that is about uh, Russian roulette, and it's in black and white. And it's uh, for the same reason that I would have picked Raging Bull, but I can't now. Mm. 
And uh, the reason that Tom was talking about that barber pole, um, it's a it's it's a Russian lit movie that's set in black and white that I was totally nuts about at uh, at Sundance, and it's uh, there you go. So it's thirteen sided. So and Dingus, you can see the English language remake. Uh, I think by the same director, starring Jason Statham. Now, yes, you can, and don't. And don't and I actually I've seen it and I honestly don't remember if the remake was in black and white. Uh, I I would make no mistake about the original being in black and white. I remember vividly that black and white. But I think the remake and it has Michael Shannon too as the guy who's hollering for them all to to shoot and whatever. I think maybe the remake. It might even be in color. I don't know. I don't. It remember. is. It, it is. It's just called. I, no. Are you serious? Oh my God! Wow. That's a that's a that's a crime. That's more of a crime than Kelly Wand picking Pineapple Express as a black and white movie. Normal roulette's black and red. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is your number one pick that we were working our way towards? What what is your sorry, number? One? I'm sorry about that. I just was. Wait, wait. Say other things about it because I don't even know what it is. Never mind. Kelly Wand would like this movie. Samedi Thirteen is the name of it. it yeah, what does that thir- word mean? It, it's Saturday. It basically means I, I think it means uh, the Thirteenth. 13th Street? Yeah. Uh, but but whatever it is, it's about this group of guys who uh, go to this cottage to uh, bet their future on playing Russian roulette. They walk around in a circle, you know, pointing guns at the back of each other's heads. And, uh, You're making it sound like an action movie. <laughs> it takes me back. It's before Talisman. Uh, it, you... It's a really, really exciting movie, and in black and white, it's perfect. Uh, I remember seeing the remake now that Tom mentions it, um, and it's it's it tries to make it much more of an action movie, and this is much more of a character movie. It's this guy who has to make money, and he goes off to this sort of like I have to play Russian roulette off in the woods with somebody. <laughs> and well, he poses as one of the contestants. He falls into right. a contestant's like letter of admission or whatever, and he goes in to substitute himself in for someone else. And it's kind of about his experience infiltrating this underground Russian roulette gambling ring. Where I wonder, if it's, are there thirteen of them? Yeah, no. yeah. That, I mean, and it's I think it's an immigrant, isn't he? Is and the the idea, Kelly Wand, is that <laughs> let's say that we're all competing. Let's say it's all three of us and a bunch of other people. We're all given a gun with mm-hmm. one bullet. We put a bullet in there. We spin the cylinder. We close the gun. We stand in a circle, and each person points a gun at the back of the skull of the person to his left. So you've got this human centipede daisy chain <laughs> Right, who exactly. are going to murder each other. And then Michael Shannon in the uh, remake, I forget who it was in the original, someone stands up and says, when this light bulb, he's got a stepladder lo- overlooking everyone, and he says, when this light bulb goes on, pull the trigger. And then everybody who's alive then goes on to the next round. And it's, it's like a last, it's a, chairs it's, with a gun, yeah. Yeah, it's literally a last man standing contest. Uh, in the last or man human standing. centipede variant, crouching. Mm, I don't know, Kelly Wand. Not everything's about human centipede. <laughs> Never say that again. Does it? Does the, is the end of the deer hunter dumb? <laughs> like where Christopher Walken shoots himself? Yeah. No, is it's terrible. Stupid? What? What? Well, it's stupid that he did it. Well, is it stupid that he did, he he succeeds in not shooting himself and is <laughs> the best at Russian roulette on what a what a character should or should not do? <laughs> then De Niro shows up or Redford. Redford shows up and goes, hey, that's dumb. Let's get out of here. And then Chris Ron goes, no, one last. I got this. 
It's a lot of money or something. Kelly Wand is uh, a metaphor. For deer hunting? <laughs> if you played Russian roulette with the deer, it'd be fairer. That's what hunting is. Oh, it's Russian roulette with the deer is not in on it. Because <laughs> he doesn't have opposable thumbs to shoot the gun, so why let but him bother? But we don't have antlers, so it's a wash. Kelly Wand, what is your number one pick for a movie, hopefully in black and white? That no, it's Raging to- Bull. I was kidding before. <laughs> Raging Bull. All right. Uh, so my number one movie, uh, you guys actually haven't seen, and I'm, I'm really irked, and it's what uh, made me uh, bring up this topic. Um, Greta Gerwig in uh, Francis Ha, which is Noah Baumbach's last movie, looks so freaking amazing in black and white. In in Greenberg, she was great as this kind of unassuming, gangly, uh, L.A. actress type. But she looks so amazingly elegant. She looks like a freaking movie star from the olden days, and she's so expressive. Should I have seen that? You should totally see Francis. I mean, it's Noah Baumbach. I know you guys are going to eventually... That's why I'm surprised I don't remember hearing about this before. Um, Well, it's kind of weird, and I think part of what he's doing, and I don't know this school of cinema very well, it's not my bag, but I think part of why it's in black and white and what he's harking back to is French New Wave cinema and this sort of more realistic slice of life, and uh, I think a lot of French New Wave stuff... Uh, had some stuff about social issues, and, and I think he's kind of touching on that, but without the social issues. It's more about um, what it what it's like growing up with friends who grow up at a different rate. Uh, and, and in a way, it's like the serious Noah Baumbach look, and he co-wrote it with Greta Gerwig, by the way. She tempers a lot of his cynicism in the movie. It's mm-hmm. kind of like what, what Bridesmaids is about. Um, but without being a, a wacky comedy. It's like, what if Bridesmaids was French New Wave cinema? And, and what if Greta Gerwig was the lead? And I I'd never seen the girl who, before who plays opposite Greta Gerwig. But the cast is amazing in this. It's new faces. Uh, and the black and white in this movie is so in love with the different actors' faces, especially Greta Gerwig. And Dingus, I'm just going to say two words to you. Uh, that I think you'll understand, but amongst the amazing black and white faces in this movie, uh, Adam Driver. Um, uh, oh, oh. So I, there's just so much to recommend in Greta Gerwig, uh, in Greta Gerwig, in Francis Ha. Uh, and I'm really <laughs> bummed that you guys haven't seen it. Yeah, I I heard both are true. Yeah. Um, so that's my number one pick for a movie that had to be in black and white. As I'm watching it too, I was like, yeah, this should, this, why is this in black and white? This just seems like some sort of self-indulgent thing that Noah Baumbach is doing. Uh, but as it went on, just the way too, I mean, Dingus, I know you wanted to uh, bring up, um, uh, Annie Hall, like, like Woody Allen's black and white representation of New York. That, that's a lot of what's going on, uh, what is going on in Francis Ha. It's just this black and white love letter to New York. Um, without the typical, hey, oh, here's in the, New York. All right. It's so New York. It's very New York. It, at times, the movie goes other places, and it's almost like, look how sad this place looks in black and white. Don't you wish we could see New York? Um, it's his. It's part of his California loathing, I, I think. He, he plays with that a little bit with the black and white. Um, is she the babysitter? She is in another movie. Boy, that's the thing is that Greta Gerwig, the first time I saw her eating pizza with Jocelyn Donahue in the House of the Devil. Euphemisms. <laughs> that. Uh, but no, she's no babysitter. She's a she's uh yeah, this isn't a spoiler. <laughs> she's she's a dancer who's not particularly good. And I love that about her in uh in Francis Ha. What's the little engine that could? What's the clitoris name? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Well, instead of answering that, why don't we go to some listener submissions? Oh, they're going to answer it? All right. Robert Armitage presents uh, nigrescent and albescent movies post-Raging Bull. 
Ooh. I'm with that, but that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Dingus mentioned this. Uh, Robert Armitage calls out Angel A. This film about a small, dark, and hirsute man teaming up with a giant blonde woman. And on Black that and white makes absolute sense here. It's almost too on the nose, but I love the visuals in this film. Dingus, is that, is that just Luke Besson produced, or did he actually direct that? No, he, he directed it, and we I saw it Sundance, and man, what a painful movie to watch. Good God. Well, Robert Armitage thinks that uh, the visuals are at least worthwhile. No, sorry. I mean, I I think uh, who's the who's the actor he's talking about? He was really good. I mean, he was in Amelie. Uh, it's Jamel Deba something or other. I'm sorry, but he, he was really, I mean, he's good in it. It's just in I think it's an embarrassing movie to watch. And then I had to sit through a Q&A where Luke Besson is like, oh, yes, we would like this model. It was just horrible. It's just horrible. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> I just, Fuck I was, you, Frenchie. I was so pissed off at this movie. It just Understandably. It's so self-indulgent. But Question and answer, asshole. It is beautiful photography. Uh, Robert Armitage's second pick. I like this one, even though it's no stranger than Paradise. He chooses Dead Man. Mm. Jarmusch shoots in black and white enough that giving a reason is like putting lipstick on a pig. Ah. And sometimes putting <laughs> lipstick on a pig is the same as a dye pack in a bag of money. You just need to know who's been kissing your pig. Mm. Forrest Gump oh. really said it true. <laughs> Robert Armitage's number one pick. I, I'm guessing Robert was referencing something that I'm not catching the reference. Is that from... Uh, Black lipstick I've seen, but not white. I think that's a reference to something. Like, oh. softly, or I don't, I don't know. Uh, Robert's number one pick, Stingray Sam. This is a singing cowboy movie in space. I actually know yeah. one of those. There is a singing cowboy movie in space called uh, The American Astronaut. This is not what this is, though. Not Clooney-related. Not Clooney-related, and it is... Uh, you could have called Gravity that. You know, it, been it is in black and white, and it's actually edited by Pete Boudreau, who did Margin Call and... Uh, hey! What? He's doing every movie. <laughs> uh, Robert writes of Stingray Sam, in order to differentiate themselves from Paint Your Wagon... Oh, I like that movie. This movie went with black and white photography and added extended scenes of complex handshaking. Hmm. No idea what that's a reference to. Hmm. Jeff Sweet writes, Hi guys, it was easy to come up with three modern films I love that were shot in black and white, but I found it surprisingly tricky to articulate why they should have been shot that way. With each one, it just seemed so obvious they needed to be in black and white, it was hard to imagine them any other way. Number three, Jeff Sweet calls out Ed Wood. As with all of my picks, the lack of color plays a key role in setting the tone for the film, and it's, essential, it's especially appropriate here given the subject matter. So take that, dingus. I, oh my I, god! I, I oh, he's got no, his, his number one is awesome, but his number two, Man Who Wasn't There, I'll be shocked mm. if this one hasn't been mentioned already. You're right, mm. Jeff. Uh, given the relative lack of spectacle in the film, I'm always floored by how gorgeous it looks. That's Roger Deakins for you. Mm. Uh, Jeff writes, I'm a sucker for that period, and the lack of color really enhances the look of the architecture, the clothing, and the abundant shadows. Not to mention the cigarette smoke. Uh, how dumb are you guys going to feel when I mention Jeff Sweet's number one? Pretty dumb, normally. Oh, get ready for this. Number one, the white ribbon. Oh. <laughs> Jeff writes, one of the major reasons I absolutely love this film is how incredibly effective it is at creating a cold, stark, and somber tone. And I think that would have just been ruined had it been shot in color. The scenes set in winter are particularly striking. 
As a side note, I want to thank you guys for turning me on to this film, which is my favorite expo- my first exposure to Michael Haneke, who has since gone on to be one of my favorite directors. Hmm. Good call, Jeff. That's a really good call. But the problem is, I only think of it as being shot in white. <laughs> it's really, the I, I, no, it's not just the white. It's not just that. It's just that I remember the opening moments in that movie, and it was so... I don't know if it was, it was the projector that I was seeing it on, or the... the it just I just remember it being so bright and white and white I would I would call it a white and black film, not a black and white film. Uh, we should find mm. that phrase. Very good. It should be black and white ribbon though. But that's a great choice. Good job. Fred Bowes, uh number Fred and Lynn, their number three pick, clerks. Why? Budget perhaps, but also because there's a quality about it that makes you feel like it's being seen through the viewfinder of an early nineties VHS camcorder that anchors it to that particular era. Well put. Number two, Down by Law. Why? Mm. Jim Jarmusch uses it to riff on film noir, and Lynn and I cannot imagine that world in color. Hmm. Eh. I see they speak French like you do. Fred and Lynn's number one pick is Ed Wood, and they concede no explanation necessary. Dingus. <laughs> Edward Jekyll writes, hey guys, longtime listener, first time writer. Welcome. Wait, back. wait, wait. What's his name? Edward Jekyll. Okay. Wait, what's he turn into? Ted Hyde. Edward Jekyll writes, long-time listener, first-time writer. Uh, Welcome here. Uh, That's me. Uh, I've only got one this week. It immediately jumped to mine, and I feel like any or all of you have probably scooped me on this. Yes, Edward, we have. Uh, But his pick is The Man Who Wasn't There. Mm. This movie was shot in color. Oh, and changed to white in post. Well, that's even more impressive in a way. It's like playing sober baked. Nope, but, well, he, he asks if it's valid, and uh, Edward, absolutely valid. He says, I feel this Coen Brothers movie's ha- movie had to be black and white for two reasons. Seen as the movie is heavily influenced by noir that was in black and white, it makes sense that in honor of, and to more closely resemble those movies, the Coen Brothers decided the man who wasn't there should also be black and white. More importantly, however, Edward writes, I feel this movie must be in black and white because for the whole movie we are in the mind of Ed Crane, who is so emotionally stunted and bland of personality that the world reflects the man we see it through. Bland and devoid of variation in color. Mm, you right? didn't say that. He I know. on your thing. He definitely scooped me there. But uh, in my defense, he misspelled Coen Brothers. Ooh, the H? Yep. Harsh. Paul Weimer writes... I did have a question about whether a movie had to be entirely monochrome or just a scene or partially in black and white. I knew the answer. <laughs> but I didn't mean the entire movie had to be in black and white. So, Paul's number three pick, Ed Wood, because a movie about the king of D-list black and white horror movies wouldn't look right in color. Very good, Paul. That's true. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, Paul's number two pick is Pi. Oh, ah. Fuck! The use of white is essential to showing us a very distorted character and his rabbit hole mathematical world. You should change my number two. That's really good. The black and white is rather contrasty, too, which accentuates this effect. Mm. And number one, Man Who Wasn't There. This movie, in order to do the noir genre homage properly, has to be in black and white itself. The movie won't work otherwise. I'm seeing a trend here. Yeah, I like how you picked a topic where there's pretty much one right answer. Man Who Wasn't There. Man Who Wasn't There. Man Who Wasn't There. Man Who Wasn't There. Noir. <laughs> Jay Lando Dupratna, Jonathan J. Lando Dupratna writes uh, his top three black and white films post 1980. Um, okay, third is The Man Who Wasn't There, full of great performances. Huh. Well, but what? Shot, really what? take advantage of both being shot on film and being in black and white. 
Not a positive, but I would not be surprised if scores of people picked up smoking because they made smoke look so good in the film. Scores. Scores, yeah. So we just need you and uh, 39 more for that to be technically correct. Awesome. I picked up hat wearing, but not smoking. Mask cool. Uh, hats. Uh, I think Dingus will appreciate this one. Driving with Scarlett Johansson. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Number two. Oh, yeah, and the hubcap turns into a UFO. When Scarlett Johansson is, uh, you know. Uh, Dingus, you might appreciate this one. Dead men don't wear plaid. (laughs) Seems like it'd be up your alley. That's a good one. I mean, I know Dingus hates Michael Keaton, but I'm pretty sure he likes Steve Martin. Plus the aliens. It's much better than The Man with Two Brains. Kelly? What? Uh-huh. Oh, what? Jonathan J. Lando Dupratner writes, it keeps black and white only so much as that is the aesthetic slash genre slash time that the Steve Martin comedy mashup is emulating and embracing and sending up. I feel the same could be said to justify Ed Wood, but I just like Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid better. It just got to just as Willie. Kelly Wan, how do you feel about someone liking Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid better than Ed Wood? Well, Dingus is very, I hate one thing and I like the other thing. But for me, there's room for both. Okay. I just like Tom saying it like it's somebody's last name, Deadman. <laughs> Tom says a lot of weird things, weird Deadman. Hey, Deadman, come over <laughs> here. Deadman, that's Oprah's boyfriend's name. <laughs> what am I saying that you guys didn't say? <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> Tom likes Nancy Brains because it's got math in the title. What were we going to say, Tom? Uh, I don't know how else you're supposed to say Dead Men. Wait, say the whole title. Like that. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. I'm Tom Chick. <laughs> so you don't like second syllables? Dead for a man. Don't Wear Plaid. Say Sorry. circumference. Dead Mans? What do you guys, how do you guys say it? Plaid. I say, I say windmills don't wear plaid. Anyway, Jonathan J. Lando de Pratt is number one. Is a tie, which means he's cheating and sending in four, so that's okay. I love tie movies. So he chose Clerks and Pie. Both are in black and white because it's the first film by unknown and untested writer-directors who are self-financing, and color film and lighting rigs would have been too expensive. Clerks Uh, 2's in color, and it sucks, so I think I agree with the listeners. uh, Both benefit from the shortcut, Clerks giving the appearance to some, since the camera rarely moves, that it's intentionally shot to simulate convenience store security cameras. Very good. And Pi, because the high contrast highlights the chaos and growing crisis of going mad for math. Tom. I've never gone mad for math. What? Well, you don't know real math. I'm too good at math to go mad for it. Give me a math. Give me a math quiz, Kelly. One, go ahead. Uh, what out of 28 players play semi in every battlefield game? 29. Correct. All right, you win. Rolf Crumhout writes. You're making that up. Nope, I love this name, and he's one of those. Fel- uh, yeah, his little Gmail thing has a picture, and he looks like he could be like Robert Redford's character, like 20, 30 years before he actually gets uh, on this on the sailboat. Uh, Rolf Cromhout, nautical hero, says um, Coppola's Rumblefish could have been. Oh, I thought of that one. That yeah. is a good one, but it's hard to think of reasons why that needed to be in black and white. No, because the fish are red at the end, so you see the contrast. Does that work for you in Schindler's List as well? Yeah, Schindler's List. Yeah, the Nazis are all red in the. So uh, Rolf writes, my one pick for this week is a foreign film. For me, it's not quite as foreign because I am from Europe and I have a strong preference for American productions. That it might as well be a foreign film. Uh, I don't have a line from the film. See what you've done, Dingus. But I do have a particularly nice moment. It's the scene where one of the characters walks past a billboard that says, 
Oh, God, I'm going to have to do French here. <clears throat> the billboard says, Le monde est à vous. Then he scratches out the V and replaces it with an N. So now the billboard says, Oh, the world is ours instead of the world is yours. All right. Hmm. Uh, that works I, in English. So can either of you guess <laughs> what movie that is? <laughs> Almost. Uh, what's the question? We're guessing what? The film is 1995's Le Haine, which uh, uh, Rolf suggests right. means the hate or the hatred, uh, by French director Kassovitz. Uh, Rolf says it's the one good film he made. Uh, uh, he says he thinks it needed to be in black and white because it enhances the desolate nature of the Parisian ghettos that the characters traverse during the film. That's my also, guess, by the way, that movie. That's what? That's my guess. <laughs> oh, very good, Kelly. One, you got it. Yeah. Uh, Rolf writes, also see this film when you want to see Vincent Cassell's best performance. What? Better than the laser dancing in Ocean's 13, I'm guessing. How about uh, that? I was going to start with the second best. Incredible to think this is the same guy as the strikingly handsome man in those expensive perfume ads. I had no idea that Vincent Cassel. This is how Europeans see the world. <laughs> Black and white swan. Uh, thank you, Rolf. Uh, Dave Perkins. Uh-oh. Should I read his addendum first or the actual There's three best subtitles <laughs> this week. <laughs> this week, Dave Perkins writes his three favorite old ladies. <laughs> I thought you meant lost the show. So uh, my three favorite characters in the hatch are uh, he has uh, <laughs> good night and good luck as a runner up. But his number three again, he's pulling a wand here. Memento. It was only uh, partially black and white for the not black sequences. and white. I know, absolutely not. I thought it was. Um, oh, but he does yeah. write something about the uh, the ideas that the. But uh, the forward sequences had to be in black and white because they were scenes from his memory, and few people remember or dream in color. He writes. I, have I, is that wait? Few people do. Uh, I remember in color. I don't. I, yeah, I think I dream in color too. I don't know if it's like a genetic thing. Um, I see black and white, but I think in color. Uh, I think Dave also blew this one is because of the date, but he picks Elephant Man, a film about the humanity of its main character, John Merrick. I think shooting in black and white helps to accentuate themes of division and polarity, like human versus monster and character versus physical appearance. Furthermore, the doc- doctor who treats Merrick is caught between his desire to know Merrick as a human and his longing to make a name for himself in the clinical world of science. Black and white, light, black and white highlights the struggle for the audience. I like hmm. black, black and white light. Uh, and then finally is number one pick, Schindler's List. Uh, hmm. For similar reasons, only this time institutional rather than personal, about his decision to film... In black and white, Spielberg said, quote, the Holocaust was life without light. For me, the symbol of life is color. That's why a film about the Holocaust has, has to be in black and white, end quote. Uh, That's what it, Megan Fox was trying to say. <laughs> it has to be. Dave Perkins writes, the few moments of color in the movie, like the red jacket and the lit candles, are powerful symbols of humanity in the face of systemic evil. Our listeners are smarter than us. It's a little embarrassing sometimes. He also mentions Danny Rose. Broadway Danny Rose? Broadway Danny yeah. Rose. Oh, well, Broadway wasn't his first name. So. <laughs> well, Danny Rose, which is filmed in black and white simply because of its setting. Now, let's see his addendum to see what of that that we read is just not correct. Uh, <laughs> he said, so Michelle got back in the car, and I told her I submitted the 3x3 three three as my own. Because That's how you talk, Dave. I love, had, I love talking, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> yeah. Because she hadn't contributed. 
but I picked pie. She said, yeah. or perhaps balefully, I nearly crashed the truck. Oh, no. Except an added submission for pie. Why does it have to be in black and white? The pieces in Go are black and white. Oh. The character plays with his teacher. Uh, and Dave writes... I'm not going to read in his voice anymore. Uh, Go is an ancient game that requires patience, planning, oh creativity. Uh, and until he drills it out of himself, the main character thinks in mathematical, formulaic, straight-jacketed logic. So he's not a good Go player or a happy human being until he exercises the machine-like part of his mind. And that's from Dave and Michelle. Very good, Michelle. Don't let him send those in without you. Medical bill enclosed. I, I do. Lo- I do love that you did hit him as sort of like a Jimmy Stewart kind of character. <laughs> oh, no, Angry, no. semi-retarded Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> no, having no. A, his marriage breaking up. Car crashing. Soren Higland writes uh, yeah. that it was a pretty tricky one, but he's pleased with his number one. So number three. Uh, this is this is Dingus's. This is where you can see Dingus feeling that he doesn't need certain movies because other movies already fill that need. Uh, Soren picks The Artist. Oh, I thought of that one, but yeah, Dingus doesn't mind. believe in The Artist because he has already seen Singing in the Rain. He's on no, the- but Singing in the Rain is luckily in beautiful, vibrant color. So uh, if you want to have a black and white version of Singing in the Rain, Singing yeah. in the Rain is not in color. No, it's not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my my mistake. Is it in color, Kelly Wan? Did he just trick us? No, he's fucking with you. And not <laughs> so, Soren's number three pick. The Did artist ever seen that movie? Good God! Why would we see that, Dingus? That's like a, it's a grandpa movie. Who's going to sit the, down and watch that? The best movie ever. Gosh darn it, Lord! That guy who agreed with you guys at Nebraska is terrible. Says Sing of the Rain was the best movie ever made too. Anyway, Soren says the artist because clearly a silent movie pastiche in color would be ridiculous. It might have been funny though. Soren's number two pick, Sin City. As the great Dwayne, oh, that's a good as the great Dwayne Johnson once said, oh, you can type this shit, really? George, but you sure can't say it. Sin City's slavish devotion to Frank Miller's overblown dialogue is awkward enough as it is, but it would be unbearable if it didn't take place in hyper-stylized black and white. And I think it kind of goes with the dialogue, doesn't it, in a good way? Am I, do I like that movie too much? Yes. Okay, that's fine. What's There's a lot of point? red droplets all over the place, aren't there? No, or it's like the blood's white, like white. And Maybe I'm thinking of the spirit. That one's terrible. But Sin City's good, I think. Right. Sin City is not good. It's not? I like it, so it must be. But isn't there a lot of red splashed around? Not that, you mean... No. Maybe. Is Tom? it is it the spirit that has all the red that, that, that flops around? Uh, I didn't see the whole spirit. Right. But Tom will explain it all to you. I, do, I don't do based on movies. his disinterested silence. <laughs> <laughs> the Kelly one that was uninterested silence. Oh, <laughs> uh, Soren's number one pick <laughs> is Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, I, I saw that movie at the theater. Firstly, Soren writes, the black and white cinematography makes flesh and metal the same yeah. color, seamlessly merging flesh and machine. Secondly. The black and white gives the movie a visual consistency they didn't have the money to afford otherwise. And then thirdly, as with Sin City, a black and white uh, black and white automatically makes the world feel more heightened, which makes it easier to accept more outlandish events. I simply don't think that drill penises would go down as easily in color, no matter the budget. I can vouch for that. Thank you. Thank you, Sora and Kelly Wand. Nick D. writes, I could think of surprisingly few of these, so I wouldn't be surprised if some or all of them have been scooped. Number three, Sin City. 
this is, this is technically cheating since there are snatches of color used, but I enjoy yes. the effort to reproduce the comic's visual style. <laughs> Number two, Ed Wood. Apparently, <laughs> Columbia... <laughs> Apparently, Columbia Pictures dumped this film after Tim Burton wanted to film it in black and white, but I think it was a terrific choice for the subject matter. Haha, uh-huh. who's laughing now, Columbia Pictures? Uh, that was me, by the way. Nick D was not gloating. They were pro Beetlejuice at Columbia. Uh, and then finally, Nick D, hitting on something Dingus and I both mentioned, picks Good Night and Good Luck, and he uh, says, Is it just me, or does cigarette smoke look better in black and white? Wait, why didn't I say it? Because Dingus and I said it. Oh. See? You guys don't smoke. Because you use a vaporizer. Oh. Uh, Fire writes, thanks for picking such a terrible topic. I had to go through Wikipedia's list of black and white movies made since 1970. That uh, wasn't the topic, but uh, okay. And find three that I've seen. <laughs> Not really, but it was close. Perkins uh, told him. All right. Number three, the answer. Is this a movie the man tries to keep us down and love will persevere? What? The question. What is Paper Man? <laughs> no, that's black and white and red all over. Paper Man? Is that a thing? Black and white adds to the artistic off-the-cuff feeling of this American animated motion picture short. Ah. Oh, short film, Tom. Paper is Man? That... Is that the name of the movie, though? Paper Man? Okay. I thought it was a video game with Mario in it. I thought it was the guy who brings you the paper. You thought it was a guy. <laughs> paper Man. That he was writing about. That was my first job, by the way. I was a Paper Man. In some ways, things haven't changed. Uh, fire's number two pick. Here's some dialogue. So are you going to be okay? I should be all right, apart from the fact that I'm wanted by the lynch mob, the police are after me, and there's a homicidal maniac loose, and I'm unemployed. Everything else is fine. That's Rocky Three. I think I'm supposed to read that in a Woody Allen voice. Oh, it's uh, Rocky Two. Dingus, do you know this? You know your Woody Allen. Casino Royale. Is it Shadows no, and Fog, Woody Allen? It's Stardust Memories? No, oh, Shadows and Fog. Shadows and Fog? Isn't that Woody Allen? Yeah, I forgot about that movie. Uh, Fire writes, it's in black and white, because black and white is scary and dramatic. Ghost stories should be black and white. Am I right? Wait a minute, is it Woody Allen? It's not Ghost Story. Shadows and Fog? Yeah, it's Woody Allen. What the fuck's yeah, wrong with Woody Allen? It's like uh, his M. Well, here's here's Fire's number one pick, which we've mentioned. <laughs> it's like... It's, it's, uh, this is... Uh, Moody Allen. Get it? Uh, the line is, dogs can't live on Venus. When they roll on their backs, the pressure twists their guts up, and it kills them. What huh. movie is that from? Is that true? Because I don't remember Sandra Bullock saying that till the guy on the phone. Okay, Kelly, I'll give you an Dog. alternate line from this movie. Don't you fear the Yetis in Rio? Oh, Mummy 3. <laughs> uh, this is the American Astronaut. Which uh, because we mentioned that uh, it's in black and white because it is so indie. I think they were hoping it would be an instant cult movie, and it should be. Aren't Americans the only astronauts? Because the Russian ones are cosmonauts. What are the Chinese ones, Kelly? Want uh, an airplane? <laughs> uh, all right, runners up. What's the question? To black and white movies? Uh, I almost wanted to pick uh, Desire, but I don't know that it necessarily needs to be in black and white. Like it certainly lends the uh, it, it lends the modern day Berlin this wistful kind of forlorn look. But mm. I don't know that it necessarily. Like Vim Vendors is great in color or black and white. So I didn't pick uh, Wings. I of didn't Fire. see that movie. 
Who directed it? Vim Vendors. Vim Vendors. Uh, come on, you didn't see that? That's the one where Nicolas Cage plays oh, Angel. Ah, I like you. <laughs> that the, should have been in black and white. There is a remake. I, I don't know if it's actually called Wings of Desire. No, it's called it's uh, City. It's called City of Angels. City, uh, oh my and god! I don't want to murder that movie. I have to tell you, it's beautiful. It's, what? Dingus. Shut up, Dingus. It's, it's not a good movie, but it's so beautifully moved. No, it's beautifully filmed. It's gorgeous looking. I want to kill you. And it's also got a great soundtrack. Sorry, sorry to say what? this. Dingus. There goes this podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it's beautifully filmed. It's beautifully filmed. It's. I guess the only way you. I, I just want you to to assure me that you've actually seen the real Wings of Desire. Yeah, of Peter. course I have. Okay, Whew, that was close. But, but it's it not is. a small shot as the one on the beach uh, <laughs> where all the angels at the end go, "Yeah, it's cool to be human. We suck." And the black. Do you not? Re- do you, oh yeah. Did you ever see City of Angels? Have you ever seen the movie? No. Why am I going to see a romantic comedy with Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan? That's a remake of a Vim Vendors movie. I don't have a girlfriend, you sick bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's who's the? Oh, gosh, who's the um, who's the cinematographer for that? For the original uh, for Cities of Angels or for Vim Vendors? For the Vim Vendors one. Nobody knows that thing. It's the guy who did uh, English Patient. It's the same dude. No. Uh, Dingus, you're just inventing things. You're having a few yeah. now. Uh, it's no, not it's, Seal. Uh, it, it could, how did you do that? I just remembered. It, uh, yeah, it is It is John Seal, and it's beautiful. That movie is beautiful. It's beautifully filmed, and it's got a great soundtrack. All right, Dingus, can I tell you other movies that John Seal has shot? Oh, God. Poseidon. No, you can't. No. Poseidon. Oh, Dingus, Poseidon. if that's not enough, how about Spanglish? Ah, uh, damn it. Uh. Wow, I see a pattern forming. The English patient. The English patient. I'm just going to keep saying that. The English patient. Uh, other runners up for you guys. Anything else? Did he uh, also do Mosquito Coast? I hope uh, he did. Oh, God, I hope he did. That was Vim Weir. Or Vim Weir. <laughs> Vim Weir. That's <laughs> Peter Weir, you jerk. I don't speak. <laughs> you're, such a, you're such a weirdo. <laughs> you hear that, Tom? You take that from him? How dare you? Uh, there's a movie called The Man Who Wasn't There with Billy Bob Thornton that always made an impression. <laughs> is that in black and white? I don't remember color. I don't think it is. No. It's the one where he wants French fried potatoes. So there's a recent movie called uh, Escape from Tomorrow uh, <sighs> that is known for its its uh, guerrilla approach to shooting. It's actually shot in Disneyland and Disney World by just having this, this these actors play a family and then cameramen followed them around and they were thinking that the folks at Disneyland and Disney World would just think it was people having their vacation footage shot. So they've got this gorilla on-location footage from the Disney parks and then they made a movie out of it. Um, and the weird thing is they shot it in black and white, which hmm. does a weird thing to that whole Disney vibe, I think. I don't like the movie. I don't I don't recommend it. But I think it was kind of bold for them to, to shoot it in black and white. And I like what that does to what they're trying to do to dismantle the Disney mythology. Maybe it should look more like a movie and less like surveillance footage. Um, okay. Go. If it's in black and white, it's more artsy. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's just weird seeing Disneyland and like the fireworks. Like they do a lot of shooting during the fireworks. It's just weird seeing all that in black and white. Uh, and hmm. it's supposed to be weird. They even do this bit with uh, where they do weird CG effects on some of the like when the guys going through the it's a small world ride, uh, and they can't use the music by the way. Uh, it's kind of funny that they sub in a new song there. Uh, but they do CG on the <laughs> little on the little puppets to make them look like scary creatures at times. Rachel Ward will adjust your steamboat, Willie. <laughs> What? Yeah, every, every time you talk, I hear the 3x3 song starting up. 
That's I hear. <laughs> that's what I hear whenever I talk too. Like every uh, day. I love that short uh, that uh, Call of Cthulhu, a fellow named Andrew Lehman. Oh yeah, yeah. Did. I love. I mean, that's got to be in black and white because it's silent. Uh, but I love what they did with that. That's not a movie, per se, because I saw it on TV. You're talking about it's not a movie. Well, I saw it on TV, so it's a TV show. Uh, it's a short, I think, is your only claim to it not being a movie, it, in that it's not feature length. The funny thing is, their next movie, the thing they did after Call of Cthulhu, The Whispers in the Dark, I believe, uh, they made it feature length. It's like a 90-minute movie, and it is so padded out. Like, it's so drawn out, and it has so much, like, filler. It totally needs to be. Like, I don't, I don't know that being faithful to H.P. Lovecraft is enough to give you a 90-minute movie. Well, it depends I'm on the story. Well, I'm beginning to see the wisdom of Stuart Gordon throwing in all his weird sexuality stuff. Uh, well, that was in Reanimator. Oh, no, it wasn't. But still, Call of Cthulhu is an eventful story, too, because they drive a speedboat through Cthulhu's head. A lot of cool shit. <laughs> right. Maybe it wasn't a speedboat. It was a boat. They do. That is how you defeat Cthulhu. You no, hit the boat. it doesn't defeat him. He, his head reforms, and I'm like, fuck, let's get out of here. Oh, they just run off? But they do try to drive a boat into him. They do drive a boat through him. Although it doesn't say what happens to the boat, interestingly. And then uh, I can't imagine it works out well for the boat. But the city is fucked <laughs> up, too. Oh, maybe it improves the boat. I can't imagine it works out well. They get a good deal on the Cthulhu drenched rotor at Home Depot. That will affect the resale value of the boat, though. Will affect. Yeah. Uh, Did right. either of you see Much Ado last year? Oh, the Joss Whedon thing. Was that in black and white? I think it was. I was going to ask yeah. if Joss Whedon had a movie last year that you guys don't talk about too often. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Kelly Wan wishes the Avengers was in black and white. Ugh. It was, as far as I'm concerned. The Hulk should be in black and white. I'm a big fan of how you turned into a huge black and white rage monster. Tom was a huge Tool fan one time, he told me. <laughs> you just cut the, the fan off of the right. line there. Totally want to see Stop what you're doing. Uh, all right, so for next week's 3 by 3 Dingus, what oh, yeah. do you have for us? I, for, for you guys, I, uh, there is a movie I saw this uh, week that had a really great sequence about bridge and bridges. And so this is your wait wait both the game bridge and <laughs> yes. The, yes this is about it's hard to tie those concepts together but you found a movie that did that so I did. It's, it's hard to believe hmm. uh, so I'm going to trump you and it's our, it? your favorite bridges in movies your bridges favorite, yeah bridge like a bridge like a thing over the water yeah like a bridge like it, it might be calm water or troubled what but, about a figurative bridge. Between scenes, like a nope, white. a physical bridge. Your favorite scenes that take place on a bridge. What about the dental part, dental thing? Or a sequence about a bridge, or something that somebody says about a bridge. It's bridges. All right. Jeff. All right. Let, let me tell you. Bows. My favorite is bow. I love bow. I pick bow. I'll, I'll tell you what, what brought this up. Um, uh, <laughs> That's my favorite? I watched a margin call again. And there's this wonderful moment. Oh yeah. And you don't see there, the bridge though. Go ahead. Right. Sorry. No, you don't see the bridge. But it's it's Stanley Tucci talking about this bridge that he created because he was an engineer. And there's this wonderful thing about Margin Call because um, uh, Zachary Quinto's character is a rocket scientist. He he just decided that oh, yeah. he's going to do this. Uh, particular business in financial business because it makes more money. But he's a rocket scientist, and Stanley Tucci's character is uh, an engineer who 
created a bridge, and he does this whole wonderful monologue about how much money and time and mileage this bridge he created in West Virginia, from West Virginia to Virginia, created. And I love bridges in movies. There's so many great bridges in movies. So this is your, these are your favorite bridges in movies. Uh, hopefully, I mean, it doesn't have to appear. If you want to talk about something that Stanley Tucci talks about, fine. You can't talk about hmm. call. If there's another movie where Stanley Tucci talks about a bridge, good luck. Uh, but, uh, but really these are your, I, I love bridges and I, I love, I love the, that monologue. And, and of course, margin call, I just cannot, I cannot tell you guys, uh, I don't need to tell you guys how much I love that movie. Um, but him sitting there and talking about creating that bridge and what it means about the rest of the characters in the movie is just huge for me. So all right. So join us next week if you have any bridge uh, instances in movies you would like to bring up. Uh, send them into three by three at quarter to three dot com. That's the number three, the letter X, the number three at, and you have to write out quarter to three dot com. Uh, we'll discuss that next week, and Dingus will begin by doing a rendition of the Stanley Tucci monologue. <laughs> He'll be doing that for us here on this podcast. Uh, we will be discussing the movie Old Boy. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, oh, Jennifer Lawrence. You're welcome to see Catch and Fire, but that's for, I just would... for children, Kelly Wand. It's a kid's movie, like Frozen. <sighs> what is that, a fucking talking polar bear musical? Frozen? I don't know. It's a, it's a the new Disney thing. Uh, it's, it's, so it's like Hop, but ice-themed. Got I, it. I will be Next. happy to give you guys a Frozen report since I want my son to see that. Thing is, not until you've Ugh. seen Wreck It Ralph, because it's one of the same people from Wreck It Ralph is doing Frozen. <sighs> I want to write an opsis about Jennifer. About Lawrence. Old Boy. We want you to write an opsis about Old Boy. It'll maybe even have from the original, like the octopus scene. Imagine how much fun you could have with that, Kelly Wand. Hmm. See? I don't remember that. Am I the only one here who's seen Old Boy? That can't be true. No. Nice. Okay. All right. Yeah, but it's going to be a, a fucking American remake. When but, but a, a, Spike, a Spike Lee American remake. See, Kelly Wand? See? Mm, Clockers? I'll believe he's American when I see his birth certificate. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Murawski. Uh, okay, if you say so. And uh, Kelly Wand. Also, uh, oh yeah, you already said that one. <laughs> Is a burning thing that makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. I fell into a burning ring of fire. I went down, 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 and the flames went higher. Oh, well, sorry. I'm sorry. I, I know that means little at this point, but I am.